I'd like to ask you about your hobbies. Now, when you sacrifice a goat and you rip its heart out with your bare hands, do you then summon Hellfire? Or do you just send out for a podcast? This main series is going to be murder. Well, th- don't worry. We do leave Scotland eventually. So I know. You, you don't, at least you'll have to, you know. He went all over the Not world. Not to call my shot, I think my McGregor is better in the next episode. Can't say I remember. So, I don't know. I feel like that was one of those in and outs. You know? I think I did a better job. It was a little in, it was a little out, but it was in. It was in. We recorded that one already. Mm-hmm. I just think this is going to be a tricky miniseries. Not just the McGregor of it, but but all of it. Listen, it's going to be a good series, though. Mm-hmm. This is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who experience massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce baby and sometimes the babies crawl on the ceiling uh that's true not in this sometimes those babies uh yeah yeah i don't know there's a creepy wind-up baby in this one as that's well that's true it feels like a little a bit of foreshadowing a little, a little foreshadowing, doll yeah. a little doll uh this is what's that wait a second you see off in the desert it's so hot the heat lines distortion i can't see there's like a, a man on a horse Far off. Hello? Hello? I'm trying to invoke like Lawrence of Arabia, the Omar Sharif introduction. What, who's that over there? Oh my God, he's slowly coming into focus. That's, that's no man. David, atop this horse. A new mini series. Wow. Read a whole article while you a did that. A mini series. A new. Mini series. Riding a dang horse. Riding a dang horse. It, honestly, well, what? Well, I was gonna say, like, I feel like the director we're covering is sort of like the uh, anti or the response to the sort of broad classical filmmaking that you're talking about. David but, Lean, sure, but uh, but uh, you know, you know, he's done some more epic stuff. But you know, he's jittery and wild more, and energetic. I, don't you think he's more the direct response to Merchant Ivory, who were kind of running absolutely. If you're the if table you're, yes, on you're right, the right, perception right. of British film at that point in time. But then, of course, he did make his David Lean esque epic yesterday. Yes, today. Yes, today. <laughs> Folks, we're talking about Danny Boyle. Uh, welcome to 2023. Happy New Year. I know it's like the fourth episode of uh, 2023, but it's our first episode of 2023. Mm -hmm. We did it. We did a Shyamalan. Has that already come out? No, that'll be in a couple weeks. Uh, and now we're talking about Danny Boyle. It's a miniseries called Train Spud Casting. You were waiting with bated breath. Train Spud Casting. For that. And that's what it is. It's called Train Spud Casting. Better the more quickly you say it train spodcasting yes today we're talking his debut film it's called shallow grave 1995's shallow grave now 94 da- 95 david is 2023 as you said mm-hmm. and we all know that the bit is retired for good uh that's right the bit is retired no bit there's no bit so i am going to say david's wearing david is truly he walked into the studio wearing wow. his no bits shirt that's right a real statement piece. And so in in the name of starting the year off on the right foot, I want to say 
that, of course, David grew up in England. Whoa! Yes, that's right. Now, I will also say it. David grew up in England. When did I live in England? This is a thing that what both ages? of us do. Oh, fuck. Uh, I've only said it a million fucking times. 13 to 21? 9 to 22. Okay. 1995 to 2008. I almost maybe could have done the years better than the ages, but yeah, I, the math in my head was clearly wrong. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm recovering from a couple days of NyQuil. Um, David? Yes. I bring this up because, not to, not to relitigate shit, there was a Reddit thread I found very funny. What was it? Complaining about the notion that we were covering Danny Boyle and that we, a group of Yanks, were unqualified. How dare a show without a British voice? Sure. Right. right. Talk to anyone. Weigh in on this guy. Right. Even though we fucking did a Miyazaki miniseries. I guess people yelled at us about that, too. And people yell at us about, <laughs> about all kinds of things. Yeah. People yell at us when we make, talk about American. <laughs> yeah. People yell at us when we talk about our breakfast. No, but I did grow up in Britain. And not only did I grow this. up in Britain, I grew up in Britain when this man was making movies and yes. changing British culture. So it's yes. even even more specifically. And I have a goddamn British passport, and I know I sound the way I sound, but I am English. This is why I'm bringing it up. You were very defiant about this. I am. Because the thread was like a bunch of people going, the bit's retired. Yes. And then other people going, I don't think he's doing the bit. Oh, oh, in the thread. Sure. But yes. is this how we want to start our new yes, miniseries? Because, okay. because... You have wanted to do Danny Boyle for a long time. And one of the many reasons you wanted to do Danny Boyle is we haven't done a proper British filmmaker yeah. making films in the UK. Obviously, we did Christopher Nolan. The man uh -huh. is English, but he did leave England right away, essentially. After the first movie. Um, you know, he made like Dunkirk is obviously, you know, that's yeah. well, he made that in France, actually. So it doesn't even count. Know, okay. But right, you know, so like we've never really done a British filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we've had plenty of them on the bracket. Oh, sure. Right? You know, Hitchcock, Lean. Heard of them? I don't know. Who else have we had? The, the Powell and Pressburger we've had on the bracket. The most Lee? English filmmaker. Have you ever put Mike Lee on the bracket? Powell and Pressburger we, put, we have. We, put. I put Mike Lee on, on my your bracket. Personal yes. bracket. Oh, he would be. He would. That would be that quite would be, a mini series. That would be quite a Mike mini Lee. series. Yeah. Uh, the Archers. Look, yeah, yeah. The Archers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Danny Boyle, look, we both like some of Danny Boyle's movies. You know, we both, like, for example, you and I long, mm -hmm. have long both cherished our love of his film Sunshine, it, a classic it, it, that, kind that of movie for this podcast. That is a shared film of ours that we love, and in the early a days— A famous bounce that we both yes. appreciate. In the very early days of doing this podcast, when we were still in the Star Wars days and we were thinking about doing isolated one-off episodes— we would throw out, like, what are movies that we'd love to talk about? And in that initial batch of films, I think before we even really settled on the director miniseries idea, it was like, I'd love to do a Hulk episode. We'd love to do a Sunshine exactly. episode. These are the kinds of things we think about. Right. So Sunshine is, a, is an episode we've been building up to in our entire run. Steve Jobs is a movie you fight for constantly. I adore. One of my favorite movies of the century. Um, but, but very much a guy you've been, you've been pushing for a very long time, who I'm a big fan of. As well. Yeah. Um, Do you want to talk about your history with Danny Boyle as someone who, of course, I acknowledge, grew up in England when this man's films were coming out? Danny Boyle. Well, I saw these first two films that we're going to cover, Shallow Grave and Trainspotting, mm -hmm. at a young age. 
and they were formative in that they were formative for everyone of my age mm -hmm. in British culture. They were the cool Brit movies. Richie is the other guy, obviously. Sure. And he's been on our brackets, too. Mm -hmm. But, like, in my opinion, Guy Ritchie is... It's actually is, kind of wild that we put him on our brackets. Guy Ritchie? Yeah. You know, he has a thing. He has a thing. And he's made really, really weird projects. He has. He's also made franchise garbage, but like, you know, he's made like Revolver The and stuff, idea of so having like, to do him at this point feels untenable. It, it might I be tough like, at this point. Although, well, have you seen Dave Rath? No, I hear it's good. Ben's putting up uh, his yeah, fisticuffs. You know, but like, when I'm a teenager in England, mm -hmm. the Producer coolest ben. English movies, there's like, there's this wave of exciting, yeah. vibrant you know, sort of often crimey British movies, right? Like mm -hmm. if, while America's having its Quentin Tarantino boom and then the wave that follows, yeah. right? Everyone's like, ah, let's all do movies about gangsters who shoot each other. Britain's doing its own version of that, sort mm -hmm. of. Except one of the launch movies for that is just a movie about three roommates who turn on each other over a bunch of money. It, it, it is uh Like when you see wild. the cover of this, the, like yeah. especially the classic... Um, poster, which is just the shovel. Yeah. You're like, oh, is it like Blood Simple? Is this kind of like a really pulpy crime movie? Sure. And it's like, it's, yes, it is a crime movie. Yeah. But really, it's just about like yuppies turning on each other. It, it's and, a, it's an odd film. And it, I had to keep on trying to place myself. I watched this movie as a 13-year-old and was yeah. like, wow, so cool. Yeah. What did I relate to in that's this movie? A, that's the thing. I, I don't I don't say this backhandedly, right? But I, I wasn't the only one. Like, yeah. we, uh, me and my teenage friends, we were all like, ooh, you know. I think this is a good movie, but I also had to keep on reminding myself while watching it, like placing myself in the context of when this film came out. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And how much this movie was like a statement against what the status quo of British cinema was at the time. Absolutely. And, and that this film now, like, you have to understand this movie as sort of like the breaking point. Um, right. Along with other movies, obviously. But it's just like that thing, like, you know, so when I'm a teenager, he makes Shallow Grave and Trainspotting. We're all like, yeah, yeah, this is it. You know, and by the time The Beach is coming out, it's that post-Britain, you know, booming Britain in the 90s, mm -hmm. you know, where everyone's like, okay, the party's over. We're getting lame again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. And then he goes on to have the most interesting career. Yeah, yeah. That, that hops through every genre. Yeah. That works on big scales and tiny scales. Yeah, well, because uh, the the beach, life less ordinary, doubleheader, obviously in the reverse of the order I said, is tough and, and feels like a classic, oh, here's like a, a great local filmmaker who gets swallowed up by the Hollywood machinery. Um, he starts working with big stars at studio budgets, and he's it's just not translating, right? But it's I think it's also it's like, ah, you lost what's cool. Yeah. You know, like th those, you know, like, ah, shit, you had what was cool for a second. It's so hard to hold on to that. Absolutely. And now you're still trying to make cool movies, and you've lost it. And then when 28 Days Later, it's like, ooh, you got it back Well, again. that's what's fascinating is then he just becomes like a genre experimenter. He becomes one of these guys where he's like, I'm going to do every type of movie. Which is not what you would expect from the start of his career, right? Like, you look at these first four films, and you could easily see him becoming Guy Ritchie, for example. For where sure. it's like, he goes in between... I have my thing. ...steady yeah, yeah, yeah. studio hand stuff, and being like, I'm going to keep on making different versions of Trainspotting. Into my 60s. 100%. Um... Ooh, I'm looking at like the best British film award. Of course, he did make a second transpotting in the 60s. Go on. That's true, he did. 
But you know, people demanded that. Well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about. We're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about all of them. Um, but it's just one of those directors where mm-hmm. I kind of went all the way out on him, like a lot of people. Sure. Then quietly went back in. Yeah. And now he holds an incredibly dear place in my heart, despite the fact that he's made some. He's he's swung and missed a few times. Yes. Um, and so I've always wanted to do him, and I wanted to do a modern British filmmaker. It'd be fun to talk about modern Britain. Because it'll be great whenever we do Powell and Pressburger. Yes. But that's those guys are the most British filmmakers of all time. And that they are about, you know, sort of wobbly chinned guys with mustaches who are like, oh, I just don't know about all this. And you're like, look, I'm I'm horned. I love it. You know, but it's a little bit of a yesteryear thing. Yeah, you love it. You're just thinking about Roger Livesy or I something am. like I'm that. Th- yeah. that's, David, that is exactly what I'm thinking yeah. about. I mean, yes. why wouldn't you be? Yeah. Um, but you know. These are interesting, vibrant movies. I feel like I keep saying vibrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, have Energetic. You, have I what? Had you ever seen Shallow Grave before? I had not. Didn't think so. Ben? No. Because the thing with Train Spotting is that was the true crossover hit. Yes. This movie was huge in Britain, but it was a, you know, a niche film in America. It's also, it was the highest grossing local British film of its year yes. with, with $6 million. Pounds. I'm, excuse me, pounds. Which speaks sterling. to... Sterling. Pounds sterling. Sure. Yeah. Train spotting does three times that in the UK alone? Uh, maybe. Jesus, does it? Let's see. Do, 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 do. We're what are talk on about pounds? Like the queen? The queen is on one side. Mm. Well, now it would be the king. Hey. But back in the day, it was the yawn queen. Yeah. And then on the other side, you got various people. Various sort of, you know. Various people. Well, they, they switch them out sometimes. I can tell you who's on the current pound notes if you want to know. Ralph. Wearing his Las Vegas shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on the current pound notes, let's see, are apparently Winston Churchill's on okay. the five. Heard of him. Heard of him. Heard of him. A little boring. He's got a stogie. Uh, no, let's see. What's the picture of him look like? You know, he's Eat a sandwich. He's, he's just kind of, you know, looking like a big bulldog. Drinking some sherry. It he did have, love sherry. They should have quotes. They should. Oh, that's just his quote. I know he had a lot of famous quotes. <laughs> I'm just saying it should it should be Churchill on on the back of every bill, but each bill is a different face and a different quote. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, Jane Austen is on the ten. Okay. We love her. We love we stand. her. Uh, J M W Turner is on the uh, twenty. Wow. Turner, Mister Turner. Who that? Uh, a painter, a famous painter, did like insanely cool, sort of like uh, beginning of impressionism. Look at that shit. So good. And wow, the back of the bill is, is the scene from that's the from movie. That's from the 1700s, Ben. Like, that's how old that is. Huh? The back of the bill is just exactly the scene from the movie when he grabs a woman's crotch and keeps his hand there for <laughs> two minutes without looking, right? Yes. Uh, and the that he's, he's referencing the Mike Lee film, Turner, which is really good. And on Incredible the 50, film. we now call them computers, Alan Turing. Ah. Uh, um, but before then, you know, you had Charles. Fascinating guy, Turing. Yeah. Uh, Wild story. Dickens. When mm. I was a kid, Dickens was on the 10. Okay. Uh, and, you know, Darwin was on the 10 mm-hmm. for a while. Uh, Florence Nightingale, Isaac Newton. You know, Britain's got a lot of people they can Bruce Forsyth. Yeah. How do you know Bruce Forsyth? I, I knew I was going to oh, impress you. With you that got one. me with Bruce Forsyth. Thank you. Suggs. Suggs for madness. Of course, Suggs. 
Yeah, he's he's actually currently on the hundred. Yeah, <laughs> they don't have hundred. Trying to think of celebrity polls that will impress David. Suggs is less impressive to me because I've just you knowing about madness makes total sense. Yeah, to but because that's a fun bit. But I know. Suggs, Suggs is Suggs is a good poll. Thank you. How do you know Bruce Forsyth? I'm not going to tell. What's a good comp for Bruce Forsyth? First of all, I believe Bruce Forsyth hosted an episode of The Muppet Show. I mean, that's possible. Secondly, Looks there's like a, he did. Yes, there's a really good Bruce Forsyth bit on Toast of London. Okay, what's that? Toast of London, the Matt Berry show. Oh, sure, I've never watched that. Oh, it's phenomenal. I believe you. Uh, but there's an episode where a woman has had plastic surgery to look more like <laughs> Bruce Forsyth. He had a very he had a very sort of pointy head. Bruce yes. Forsyth. Um, but like, um, and Matt Berry in his voice, which I can barely imitate, just keeps on saying Bruce Forsyth. Bruce Forsyth is a good example of. When I left England, yeah. I would like, when I would come back yeah. and I would be like hanging out with my friends, I'd be like, is Bob Monkhouse still alive? And they'd be like, no, he died. And I'd be like, ah, shit. <laughs> like, I can't find out about that in America. He's not famous oh, there. Sure. Like, no one's going to tell me when these guys die. <laughs> Bruce Forsyth was there. I'm like, I'm not going to hear about that. He lived until like 99, I think. He lived till 89. Okay. Uh, he died a few years ago. He put like, uh, who's like, come on, who's like a perpetual game show host type guy in America? Chuck Woolery. Sure. Great yeah. poster. I don't know who that is, but sure. No, I'm saying he's a great poster, Chuck. Rolder. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. He's like a political yeah, figure he sucks. now. Fucking okay. who does Wheel of Fortune? Yeah, like Sajak. But, no, but the thing with Sajak mm-hmm. is like that guy hosts Wheel of Fortune. Mm-hmm. Sure. Bruce Forsyth hosted like five different game shows. Okay. Like whenever one would end, he'd get another one. Okay, I got a good example. He was like a consummate host. I got a good example. You know? Yeah. I got a good American equivalent. You know Mark Wahlberg, the other one who's not Mark Wahlberg but hosts game shows? But not Donnie? No, his name is Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I don't. And he never changed it. But, okay. And he has been I'm hosting sure. game shows regularly yeah, since I see the 90s. he hosts, like, Antique Road Show and stuff. But, like, famous. Bruce Forsyth was famous. Like, the queen knew him. Yes. It's Britain's I, weird. You don't have to tell me that Bruce Forsyth is famous. You've, heard, you've heard the heard reference. <laughs> Even you know who he is. Yeah. Um, yeah this is a concept like, I this love. This is the thing about Britain where you're like, yeah. why is that fucker famous? And they're like, he just is. Yes. And we love him. And I'm like, he barely seems talented. And they're like, well, well, shut up. This is the thing I love. I don't care. It's, it speaks so much to the, the class obsession of, uh, of the UK, right? Mm-hmm. That someone like Bruce Forsyth is like formally referred to as a light entertainer. Yes, light entertainment. Right. Absolutely. That, that there's this type of celebrity and, and where it's deck like, are today's yeah. yes. you know best example of but that. But there's this sort of like diminishing kind of like what does he do? He's a light entertainer. That's exactly it though. It's like what do you what do you do? Do you act in films? No, no, no. no. Not good at that. Yeah. Do you have a TV show where you like play characters? Yeah. No, 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 no. You don't do sketches. Are you a singer? No, 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 no. I sing a little. I can sing. Are you a I dancer? I can dance a little. I have danced. What are you? I'm just good at getting the guest yeah. from the floor to the stage. Yeah. You know, I'm good at that kind of stuff. I'm good at two minutes of banter. I'm sure. a light entertainer. Well, um, presenter is the official title, right? Usually. Yeah. But presenter is more formal. Light entertainer is like, know your place. Mm, in, okay. in Britain, it's like there's this whole, I don't know why we're talking about this because Danny Boyle is not really going to touch on this at all. But although, although he made a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire movie. He did. And Chris Tarrant, who's the host of the British Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, uh-huh. is another great example of this trend. A light entertainer. Um, yeah, where it's like, you, and it's like, well, what are you, why are you so rich? Well, I host a radio show in the morning. Yeah. And then in the afternoon, I'm filming my BBC documentary where I like tour the world's great railroads. Right. And then at 5 p.m., Turn on your TV. I'm hosting a game show. And then at 9 p.m., 
I'm on the other channel hosting like Strictly Come Dancing or whatever. It's hosting, you know, some other th- competition show. I mean, like Seacrest is our equivalent. Seacrest is, there you go. Or fucking Dick Clark. Dick right. Clark is the example. But both of those guys are thought of here as moguls. Well, now they're you're like they're true. business geniuses. No but one's D- like Dick Clark is the good example where yes. it's like, what are you good at? And the answer is nothing. Yeah, but he's okay at a lot of things. Regis and can kind of keep things. Regis, Regis was is the best great, of them. But Regis, at least, he hosted a fucking talk show. Yes, I know it was a morning show. No, but it's a slightly no, you know. Regis, that's, I'm yeah. saying Regis was the best of them, and also yes, like he was the best. Regis was a, was funny. Yeah, and like I'm not to even you know Bruce Forsyth had his problems, but you know he could be funny in his way. I don't know what you're talking. I don't think Bruce Forsyth has any problems. He's my favorite light entertainer. I mean, you know the, th- the whole thing in Britain is like you eventually get canceled because you just eventually you're like, well, you know Britain used to be a bit bit jolly good back in the day, and everyone's like, what do you mean, buddy? How back in the day are we going? Britain was pretty jolly bad. And what was the good part in your <laughs> yeah, opinion? Exactly. Did, did Bruce do that? Did Bruce step oh, in it? Oh, 100%. All the time. Wow. I was just thinking about when Regis was Shrek. Oh, that was... That, that is actually... Maybe the best. That is like anti-comedy. That yes. is like Tim yeah. Heidecker-level brilliance. Yeah. 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 Anytime Regis went on Letterman was just so good. Absolutely. The, the sheer contempt Letterman Wasn't Letterman's had. line to him, you look like you just ate some bad clam chowder? <laughs> and then Regis like genuinely was like, took me eight hours to get in this makeup. <laughs> I have to watch that later. <laughs> All right. This is blank check. We're talking Danny, Danny Boyle, Boyle, baby. <laughs> We're not talking about British Light Entertainers. Uh, I'll say my history of Danny Boyle, I think 20 Days Later was the first one I saw in theaters. I was sense. mostly just, you know, that's that's the age. I'm like 13 or whatever. I'm starting to go see these movies, these cool specialty arm releases. Yes. Uh, I'm getting into horror movies. It hits all the buttons, right? Yes. And everyone's like, can you believe Danny Boyle made this movie? And, and then I'm like, like, who the fuck is Danny Boyle? So then I, I watched But maybe you had heard of Train Spotting. I knew what Train Spotting was, but I didn't under I didn't put a name to it. So then I went back and watched Train Spotting. I had never seen Shallow Grave. And I, never, I never have had. not seen Life Less Ordinary sure. or The Beach. I'm excited to watch mm-hmm. both the beach for the first time. Crazy. And then post 28 Days Later, I believe I see everyone in theaters. You saw Millions? Yep. Sunshine? Yep. Sunbuck Millionaire? Yep. 127 hours? Yep. Trance? Oh, you know what? I didn't see Trance, and I didn't see... Uh, you saw you saw Jobs in theaters. I saw sure. Jobs in theaters. And you I didn't saw see T2. I didn't see T2. No. Okay. So but, you know, yeah. by and large, you would keep up with him. Yeah, I, I was in at that point. Yeah. Um, Shallow Grave, I first watched, and I remember this very clearly. Mm-hmm. I was in what you freaks would call the sixth grade. And you would call it? Uh, year seven. What the fuck? I know. Bizarre. Because uh, kindergarten is one? I don't fucking know. I, honestly, I don't It would know. have to be. If you're I, one ahead of us, you're starting. But kindergarten is but one. I guess it maybe it is because in England, kindergarten, at least when I was a kid, was called reception, which I've always thought is so funny. Uh, I guess it's sort of like, welcome. <laughs> you know, you're you're in the reception of school, the lowest grade. But then why would... But you, maybe they start at four. Maybe that's how it gets offset. You know what I mean? Like, right, because what year one would be... Yeah, Jack Black and Michael Sayer, obviously, but it would also look. Be... All I'm going to tell you is that I was in what English people would call Year Seven, and English English listener knows that. Got it. But it just, I just want you to. You don't have to reward me. The restraint. All right. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. In Year Seven, Pavlovian. I want to say how do you I know was that in, over and over again? I every was single in, thing you say. We had music class. Repressing it. Shush. Once a week in my mm-hmm. sc- my school. Okay. 
And, you know, I pitied these poor music teachers because they were essentially dealing with like, you know, 25, 30 kids. Sure. I'm, I'm like 11 or 12, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, you're going you're gonna to try and teach us music for 40 minutes. It's like once a week. What kind of consistency can you really build up there? Obviously, some of us take instruments, so it's not that. Yeah. Did you, what, I mean, what instruments you are fun to hit your friends with. You can make a lot of noise. What? Yeah. <laughs> we can, like, I mean, yeah, no, but, but of course, yes, there was a lot of problems. Mallets? You're giving mallets to kids? <laughs> what did you, you know? play? What did I play? Yeah. I played the piano. Uh, no. And then in the, in in when I was a teenager, I tried to learn Davis the drums. Tickling the ivories. Um, I tried to learn the drums, and I was all right at it. But it's like you gotta really practice. And when sure. it came to the like, it's time to like get drums in your house. I was like, I'm not. I'm still pissed that my parents wouldn't let me play drums. It would. I I think. <laughs> That's that's a, a penny wise pound foolish decision on your parents' part. I think if they had uh, put a drum set in your basement, or it the garage would have, or whatever, yeah, it would have redistributed a lot yeah. of energy that otherwise went into general tomfoolery and rap scallion yeah, business. And you've got drummer energy. I mean, it just it's something I was so jealous of that my friends who were able to convince their parents to let them do it, uh, and I, I just think it's like. A fucking cool thing to do. But don't you think it would have been a release valve for you? Absolutely. You yeah. Have, you would have stayed at home studiously playing your drums. Fucking get some aggression now, man. Yeah. And then you would have come upstairs calm, hair slicked back. Yeah, but then I might have ended up being in like bands and stuff. And that's that that's where the oh, right. That's where the road kind of can get a little down twisted. Down a, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bad road. Um, but still, you know, apply yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, Could but have been anyway, like a grindcore band or something. I just remember it was the end of the, it must be the end of the school year mm-hmm. and Cl- Mr. Smedley, God bless him. I wonder if he's still teaching. Okay. Uh, we're talking, Jesus, I'm old. You know, we're talking almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, or fuck, maybe yeah, more than 25 years ago. Jesus. Uh, was like, eh, like sh- let's watch a movie. You know, like it's like, it's the end of the year. Sure. And my friend Asher, mm-hmm. a little troublemaker, okay, had Shallow Grave which is rated 18. Yeah. It's like a, you know, adult movie. He was like, can we watch Shallow Grave? And Mr. Smedley clearly did not know. He just had the VHS on him? Yes, because it was that thing where at the end of the year, a lot of teachers were like, do oh. you want to watch a video? And I think kids would bring, I Come would do it too. Bear. I sure. would bring like videos, like yeah. being like, maybe we can like sneak South Park on here. So you know what I mean? I remember getting my math class to watch Back to the Future. That's fun. In a similar That's way. Fun. Where That's I fun was, for the whole family. It was great. Yeah. yeah. You know, we were a bunch of boys. I went to a boys' school. Humble brag. All boys. Not a humble brag. Um, did you eat your meat? Did I eat my meat? Did you can't have any pudding if you don't eat your meat. What? <laughs> You're okay. Do you smell bread? It's from the, the pink. Wa- it's the from wall? the pink. Yeah, it's from the wall. <laughs> okay. I just, I just imagine that's, that's what, what all boys English schools, schools just like <laughs> <laughs> we're all in our little uniform. I did wear a uniform. Yeah, single sex education and uniforms very common in England. Can someone please make fan art of of David in the style of the wall? Yeah, yes. someone do that. Okay, Mr. Smedley, God bless him, clearly did not know what shallow grave. Was. Sure. Now maybe the title "Shallow Grave" should have been enough yeah. of a red flag for him. Sure. But he was clearly like, huh? Oh, okay. And we put on "Shallow Grave." And I remember I had the initial thing of like, this is like a grown-up movie. I'm mm-hmm. I'm like 12 years old, maybe. Yeah. I'm like, is this going to be fucked up? And then we were all just like completely mesmerized by it. Wow. I think because it felt so grown-up. Yeah. And then when Carrie Fox was tits out early on, Mr. Smedley was like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? But, uh, D- and- but he didn't turn it off? 
No, he let us watch the first forty minutes. <laughs> okay, of it. okay. And then I think I like. Then you had to rent it, on it TV. Later. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. But I, that's that was my wow. first exposure. Wow. Clear memory. Yeah. Wow. No, Mister Smedley clearly was just like, well, I've taken the L here. They're already watching. I'm in it. too deep. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, what am I going to do? Turn it off now and be like, I didn't realize Shallow Grave was bad. Like, you know. But but he wasn't. It was gonna, kind of like, just please, can no one mention this? He wasn't going to finish it next class. It was no, it wasn't it, that one and done. <laughs> yeah, it was like okay, Asher, yeah, sure. make sure make sure you bring it back. Don't rewind the tape. Yeah. Like, you know, we'll pick up here. Yeah. Chris Ferguson's drilling holes in the ceiling. <laughs> Wonder what that's about. Okay, so you said this right before recording. Mm. This movie has two doctors in it. Sure does. Peter Davidson? No, no, no. I wasn't being... Uh, although John Hodge... Who's Peter Davidson? Why am I... For, am, Davidson? Am I getting the name right? There's a guy in this movie who for a second I thought was one of the other doctors, an earlier doctor. Maybe I'm... Oh, getting... oh, no, no. He's not... Oh, yeah, of course. Peter Davidson is... He was, what, the... Third? Eighth? Third? No. Sixth? No, this movie has two doctors. Peter Davison was the fifth doctor. There you go. There's a lot of Peter Davisons out there. What do you want from me? I don't know. There's he's he's the one after Tom Baker yes. with, the, with the celery on his yes. lapel. Yes. yes. No, this movie has two doctors in it. Who and sleep? That's a buzzer. It's good. Swish. You could put a swish <laughs> and then the crowd going wild from NBA Jam. Thank you. There was someone in this movie I thought was Peter Davison. I was proud of myself. Uh, no, I don't think so. No, um, that's wrong. Okay, well, incredible joke. Five comedy points. Thank you. He's on fire. And the movie does have Gary Lewis for a second. He's one of the prospective roommates, I think. Uh-huh. And he plays Billy Elliot's dad in Billy Elliot. Oh, a really course. good performance. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Maybe him. You know, no, he's got no, a face you no, remember. No, I, I, I don't know. Ken I, Stott is in it. He's one of the I detectors. I think it was one of the scenes detectors, where they're watching detectives. TV, and I thought the guy on TV was uh, Peter Davis. Well, maybe it was. I don't. Know. Maybe it was. I don't know. I don't fucking give a shit. I suck. Um, shallow grave. It yes. does have two doctors. Who in sleep? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Do you want to do the NBA James sound again? It's good. No, maybe not. Maybe just once. No, we'll see. <laughs> okay. Um, this movie. Came out in 1994 at Mm -hmm. Cannes. Was released in Britain in 1995 and in America. Was like rapturously received in Britain. Yeah. I feel like the American response was like, you know, interesting, right? Like, was kind of like, sure. Like, Ebert gave it two out of four. I mean, and Maslin was like at the times was kind of like eh, a little sour for my tastes, you know, like a little little misanthropic. It was pretty parallel to the Tarantino thing, right? Like this was sort of Reservoir Dogs e. Yes, that is a good call. Yes, yeah. even though this movie is obviously a lot less like genre e than Reservoir yeah. Dogs, it is the same kind of thing of like right here. Here's Danny with a little money. Yeah, Dan Train Spotting's like here's Danny with some more money. Yeah. And more of a sort of like let him off the leash vibe, right? And then you know we go from there, right? And Train Spotting and Pulp Fiction are both like this thing is fully crystallized now, and people are going to be ripping this off for the next decade. And it's like so of the culture, so of the right. moment. But, yes. but I I rewatched uh, Reservoir Dogs uh, this week, and I was I was why? reading. I don't know why. It's not a bad thing to do. I know. Just, you know why? Because that the the Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction Steel books came out, and I hadn't watched either one in a little while, and I watched both again. I just felt like it. Yeah. I just felt like it can get off my fucking back. You know what's good? What? Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs is good. But um, 
it's funny. There, there are a lot of reviews of Reservoir Dogs at the time that are similar to that. But even that are sort of like two stars, like, I don't know. It's a lot of flash. It's a lot of substance. It's a lot of style, you know? It's not a lot of substance. Or, sorry, yeah. yes. It's a lot of, yes. Yeah, um, right. And it's like, they didn't know who this was It at feels this like point. a posture, right. Feels, right. It feels like it's trying a little hard. Yeah. And it's also, both of those movies are so cynical yes. or dark or yes. whatever that you kind of exit with like, Jesus. You know, and, like, and they're, they're, they're all dead. And those sort of middling reviews from The Elder Statesman, a film criticism for both of these movies, yeah. for uh, Shallow Grave and for Reservoir Dogs, you can tell that they're like, Oh, fuck, is this the beginning of a new trend? Yeah, right, right. Someone like, I, I, I'm i going to see where J.J. pulled, but someone like Barry Norman probably was like, oh, I don't know. Whereas like Empire Magazine, which was like the right. cool British magazine of the yeah. night, is like, here we are, baby. This is the best British film in years. Like, right. this is it. But We're the, cool. The middling ones are almost taking this defensive position of, I don't want this to be the next 10 years of film. And by the time the second movies come out, Train Spotting, Pulp Fiction, everyone's basically surrendered and gone like, like fine. This yes. is a thing now. I mean, the winner, I was looking, so the best British film category. Sure. It's a category at the Baftas. Mm -hmm. You know, it goes on to this day. It's become kind of embarrassing. Uh, and it, had, it got revived in the 90s. It had actually been a category in the 60s and then okay. I forgot about it in the 90s. In 92, The Crying Game won. Now, that's uh -huh. an Irish film. But, sure. Uh, I guess it's sort of British Irish. Um, 93 Shadowlands one. So that's a very wow. old fad. You know, it's Richard Attenborough, yes. a movie about C.S. Lewis. And you know, Winger and Hopkins, and right? The, you yeah. know, yeah. And the other nominees are Tom and Viv, which is similarly, mm -hmm. yes. you know. And then Naked, which is the Mike Lee movie, which sure. is, that's more modern and yeah. aggressive. I mean, it's an incredible movie. Yeah. And a Ken Loach movie, or truly a Ken Loach movie. I don't even know. Raining Stones. Okay. Uh, but in 94, Shallow Grave wins that prize. Okay. So it's like a year after Shadowlands, yeah. BAFTA's like, best British film? Shallow Grave. Wow. You know, a mm -hmm. little bit of a like, all right, we'll give it to the cool movie. Um, so, you know, just to give you a sense of like British cinema in the 90s. Can, I, can we crack open the dossier and get yeah. into Boyle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's I, talk about Danny Boyle. Outside yeah. of him coming from theater, I don't know much about his origins. Uh, Danny Boyle colon origins? Yeah. Danny Boyle, he has a twin sister. I don't know if you knew that. Maria Boyle. No. Uh, born October 20th, 1956. Happy birthday. To him? Yeah, in advance. I want to get out of the way. Okay. He's a Libra, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, born, he's from Manchester. He's from a little town called Radcliffe, which is uh, north of Manchester. Okay. Um, but his mother is Irish. Oh, Danny Boyle. Exactly. He sounds Irish. The name sounds Irish. Yes. Uh, his mother had emigrated to England from Ireland in the 50s. Uh, she was a hairdresser. She mm -hmm. met his father at a dance. Oh. In 1952. They married in 1954. Danny okay. is, is born in 1956. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was brought up at a farm. Uh, his okay. dad worked at a farm. Uh, basically like a working class Catholic boy mm -hmm. in Northern England. Um, he... Uh, Past the 11 plus, which is this like, I think, have I talked about the 11 plus? I don't think so. Back in the day when you were 11 in Britain, you took a test, like a standardized okay. test. 
And if you passed it, you got to go to the good school, mm-hmm. the grammar school. Mm-hmm. And if you failed it, you got to go to the like local sort of vocational school. Okay. And it was one of those things that was undeniably like did vault a lot of people out of the working class. Mm-hmm. But it was also like you took one fucking test when you were 11 and it determined where you like fell oh, your sure. whole fucking life. Yeah. My dad, pa- my dad was working class Londoner. Mm-hmm. He passed the 11 plus and mm-hmm. his, one of his brothers did. And his other brother and sister failed the 11 plus and literally like you just saw it in their entire lives. Like two of them entered the middle class. Two of them did not. Like when I was a kid, like it was, it was crazy. They eventually got rid of the 11 plus. It was uh, too crazy. That feels very in line with the whole. It was very like post-war, like we shall help, you know. Right. Take this test, young boy. Oh, you failed carpentry for you you know sure. like or whatever you're just sort of that weird kind of but like you know. the whole british class obsession where they're like okay we understand this is a prison we're right, going to fix right. it it's bad for you one opportunity yes. to raise your station <laughs> at 11 and then door closed <laughs> it, like yes you have one and chance my dad would tell me about like when he passed the 11 plus and started going to the grammar school like his uh, friends who didn't were like well we won't talk to you anymore yeah you know it was like right then it was like oh, well you're going to the fancy school now we don't want to deal with you wow jeez. Anyway, um, anyway, my dad didn't even go to college. He, you know, kind of fucked him up. But anyway, but he figured it out. Um, you know, shout out to my dad. Um, he didn't like school, says Danny Boyle. Mm-hmm. But he pushed himself very hard. Okay. He was competitive with his sister. Okay. You what know? does his sister do now? Do we know? Maria Boyle? Maria Boyle? I don't know. Okay. I think his sister's like a teacher, maybe? I just remember when he, I saw, I was at the premiere of yesterday. Humble break. I know. And he came out and introduced it and he was like, this movie is like my salute to teachers. And then I watched the movie and I was like, all right. Do you <laughs> hate your salute. sister? <laughs> but maybe, I think he may have said like, my sister's a teacher. I love English okay. school teachers. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, but so he just like, you know, he's a, uh, ooh, I love this. Thank you, JJ, for putting this in. His dad was like what you would consider back in the day, a hardcore uh, like working class labor voter, Tony Benn type. Okay. Tony Benn is sort of like a famous politician on the left of labor who who I love personally as well. But, uh, you know, so he passes 11 plus, mm-hmm. he goes to a good school, you know, tough teachers. Uh, he said he had an English teacher who changed his life, Mr. Unsworth. Okay. Who was like teaching him Jane Austen and Shakespeare and stuff like when he's a teenager and like getting him into it and he thinks that's like what gets him into theater gets mm-hmm. him into all that stuff right love that stuff right he he was at one point in his I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here you're not you're about to say it on, on track to become a priest his mother wanted him to enter the priesthood it sounds like his mom really loved Jesus Many Heard do. Of that guy? Many do. I found. Um, and in uh, and Boyle said when he was fourteen years old, a priest yes was like, you don't want to do this. Like a priest was the yeah. one who was like, you don't want to go to seminary school, right? And there was a line I saw from him where he was like, I don't know if he was trying to save me from the church or save the church from me. Yes, that's which the, line. the priest. Very thing, funny. Yes, it's very right. very funny. It is right. I mean, I don't know what young Danny Boyle was like. Maybe the priest was just like, you're not going to have the energy for this. Or maybe the priest was like, this sucks. Right. It was either a great this. act of kindness or... <laughs> right. Or like Ex- judgmental. Exclusionary, yes. Um, but, so but instead he, said, he starts doing theater. Right. That's his new like world. I, I did read a quote from where he said, like, it, I do find it fascinating how many filmmakers thought they were going to become priests that were on that track. And the ones he cited were, and like Shyamalan 
Martin Scorsese and John Woo. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I do think there's something to the relationship between those types of positions where you want everyone to pay attention to you as you steer a story around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it's... And, and tell people what to think and how to think. And, and I think, like, yeah. especially for, like, the Scorsese types, it's like, he's like, I don't want to, like, run around and play sports or, like, be a bad kid. Right. Like, I'm not in those scenes, so I'll just, like, go here where I get to, like, sit down and read books. And, and lead conversation. And learn stories and, yeah, and do all this stuff. And deeply engage in stories. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. the other thing, to, like, study stories like that. Yeah. Um, When he was in sixth form, which... Uh, you would consider like junior high, junior year of high school. Okay. Uh, he directed a play about a Polish cardinal. Um, my guess is, uh, you know, that was a sort of Catholic-y, school -y kind of thing. Okay, I don't sure, know. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, in 1973, uh -huh. he sees a clockwork orange. At, 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 at what he says, the boutique porn cinema in Bolton, which is another town outside of Manchester. Mm -hmm. Uh, right before it gets banned, right? Right before oh, Kubrick sure, is like, fuck sure. it. Get yeah. it out of theaters if you don't like it. Um, and he says it was an overwhelming experience. It simulates your senses so much. Uh, it's the point of cinema to me to be visceral rather than intellectual or reflective. The reflection can come later. All of this, obviously, speaking to Danny Boyle's filmmaking style, right? Yes, yes. Um, I so, saw Apocalypse Now. He also cited Apocalypse Now. turn on moment for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, he says the poster just got him. Yeah. He just saw a poster that said Apocalypse Now, and he was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, uh, but it blew, that movie blew him away. Uh, he still calls that the ultimate action movie. Mm -hmm. um, it's all movement. When the movement stops, you get Extraordinary Crisis. It's my absolute favorite film of all time ever. Wow. It's mad. Wow. It's flawed. It's total filmmaking on a gargantuan scale. Mm -hmm. uh, some other early movies for him. Battle of the Bulge, which is a classic Old War movie. Sound of Music. When sure. he was a little kid. Um, and uh, he came to the DG. Here's a DGA story he tells. I guess it's, he was talking to DGA Quarterly, my favorite magazine. Um, he says, I came to the Guild for a Q&A after Shallow Grave. It was my first film. It had gone well. And an older guy in the audience came, comes up to me afterwards and says, hey, good job, young man. And I said, oh, thanks very much. And someone leans over and is like, this is Robert Wise. Wow. That's cool. Very cool. Uh, never got to meet him again, he said, but it was so great to have that. Anyway, goes to Banger University. Hell yeah. You just like bangers? Yep. And did he go to MASH for postgrad? No, he went to after MASH. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Stupid joke. Alley oop. <laughs> was it? <laughs> it's like we both alley ooped it, and then we just collided. <laughs> and the ball's over there. Uh, Banger University, which is in Wales. Uh -huh. Um he says he's a very glammy boy at that point. He loves David Bowie. He loves Roxy Music. Uh, starts doing more drama. You know, he's a cool, punky 70s British boy who does theater. Mm. Did a dissertation on Samuel Beckett. Mm -hmm. uh, directed a bunch of plays and then starts working at uh, the Joint Stock Theater Company. Meets Allison Ritchie, uh, who I feel like I know who that is. Isn't that like an author or something? I don't know. Anyway, okay. uh, he's kind of interested in doing movies, but is, you know, plays mm -hmm. through the 80s i think that's what he's doing he directed a carol churchill play she rules if anyone do you guys like carol churchill no i, I i'm not familiar with it you hmm, i feel like you have seen some carol Churchill. really uh didn't you have you never seen a number that was done oh i have it's carol okay crazy old carol then yes top girls is her most famous you okay. know very like into the like overlapping dialogue yeah, and yeah kind yeah. of like intense anyway um 
Main theater taught him, he says, love of actors. Uh, you can't do theater unless you love actors on some level, he says. Mm -hmm. He says, some directors are ghastly or unpleasant to them, obviously, but you've got to love the acting, the craft of acting, and he thinks that was hugely helpful for him as a film director. He has always struck me as a uh, unusually kind man. He seems like a real little sweetheart. Right. And I've certainly never heard any story about him that was like remotely negative. No. In fact, one of the things... You don't things, really hear gossip about no, Danny Boyle. Yeah. No. One of the things I've heard about him, the most prepared director. That makes sense. The most sure. prepared, organized... Again, the theater thing feels like the well run. is a part of it, right? But there's a certain like, you know, there's a manic quality to his films that I think you hear of other filmmakers achieving through like a sort of uh, planned chaos. Right, 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 right. We'll just day by day, we'll figure this out. Right. right. Other people can do the planning shit. Yeah. And and he just seems like an incredibly enthusiastic, kind, mm -hmm. thoughtful person. Um, starts making TV films for the BBC. Okay. Um uh did some um Inspector Morses. Oh. We love him. Yes. Um he produced Alan Clark's famous 1989 film Elephant, which I'm sure you've heard of because yeah. obviously Gus Van Sant Goose, An excellent movie. Goose Van Sant was uh, inspired by it for his movie Elephant. Yeah, I'll, I'll give a Great hot film. tip. Uh, I was uh, stocking up on the couple of boils I needed on like uh, iTunes. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, I'm sure we'll talk about this as we go. <gasps> Weird forward. that there's a lot of stuff that's not available in in Boyle is, is oddly poorly represented in physical media. Several of his films have never been released on Blu-ray, period. Yep. And only two of his movies are in 4K. Um, so, yeah, iTunes and other rental places, the like. But anyway, I was looking up Danny Boyle on iTunes, and they sell the original Elephant for $2. Hey! Which is 40 minutes long. Yep. It's it's a pretty lengthy it's, short. It's really cool. But for anyone who... Uh, it, it's worth seeing, period. But if you are a fan of Gus Van Sant's Elephant... It's, it's crucial. It's crucial. I highly recommend it. Anyway, um, that's a hot tip. I just bought it the other day while buying Lifeless Ordinary. Here is Danny Boyle talking about Alan Clark, the director of that film. Mm -hmm. um, he was so easy and equitable with everyone. It was a wonderful combination. Terrifying concentration and obsession with an idea, but very garrulous. He was obsessed with the rushes, uh, which is what the dailies. Yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, I would try and get him to go out for a meal, and he'd say, no, I'm eating my room watching rushes. And I learned that from him. Watch the rushes. Watch the rushes. Watch oh. the rushes. Watch what, you're, what you've done. It's boring, but you learn all the time from it. It's a huge thing for me. Okay. Okay. That's Danny Boyle. Now, Mr. John Hodge. Okay. Not Hodgman. Nope. He's a doctor, a real doctor mm. of medicine. Mm. He studied at the University of Edinburgh. So this movie has three doctors. That's true. Um, and he had long aspired to write a screenplay. He loved movies since he was a teenager. Uh, and he thinks up the premise of Shallow Grave, which he says wasn't startlingly original, but it was confined in terms of location. I thought it might be viable. And I just started writing, and I met Andrew McDonald, who's a friend of my sister's, who's working as a location manager for uh, Taggart, which is a TV show. Okay. And he wanted to be a producer. He gets the script. It is really one of those things where you're like, it's crazy that this happened. Yeah. That these two guys were just like, I don't know. Like, one guy writes a script, and he's like, is this good? And another guy who like has the lowest level job in TV is like, I like it. It's Let's little, see if we can get a little money. It's a little like Mad Max, though. Yes. Well, Mad Max is right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Similarly, like a doctor meeting 
someone in film and being like, what if we just made this? It is also a testimony, as is Mad Max, to other countries having more robust government filming of, well, of this the is arts. the biggest thing. Because it gets into the hands of Film 4, which is, you know, an off-branch of Channel 4, which is a government-funded yeah. television channel. Yeah. And they like the script, and they're like, here's a little bit of money, and here's Danny Boyle, who's like a TV director, mm-hmm. who, you know, is we like, who is good. Really, and that's really, it. It really helps uh, the culture of a country when your government does not almost have open contempt for the arts. <laughs> um, yeah, and so th- I think they met with a bunch of directors, according to Andrew McDonald, and he said most of the directors who met them would be like, the characters are very unsympathetic. Can we like mm-hmm. smooth that out a little bit? And Danny Boyle was the one who was like, don't want to do that. And they were like, great, you're hired. Um, right? Yeah, yeah. The most important thing to... Boyle mm-hmm. is that he really wanted the characters to be rich. Okay. Because he was, and here's the quote, if, if they were poor, then you'd have more of an excuse for their obnoxious behavior. And I said, no, no, no. The whole point is that these people don't need the money. They've got sure. good jobs. They have a nice, secure profession. They have this beautiful flat, but they're bored with each other and they need this new ingredient, the new roommate. And so he's just kind of like, you know, like the satire, it, it, if it's just about like people at the end of their ropes who are desperate for the money, then it's a different kind of movie. Like, it's yeah. not the movie that it is at all. Yeah, it, it, w- it was very surprising to me watching the film when they don't make that part of the setup. When you you go like, wait, did they skip the part where not they like explain why they need the money? And them you're getting like, oh, like, oh, no, the they... past due bill from right. the electric company or whatever. Right, yeah. they don't. No, they actually no, don't. No, they're little yuppies. It's, yeah. This is a she's, yuppie satire. She's like a doctor. He was an accountant. And... Ewan McGregor's a journalist. Like, they all right. have they jobs. have like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so another thing, mm-hmm. he loved the Coen brothers and uh, he did love Blood Simple. Yes. Uh, the Grifters is another one. Oh, uh, sure. And he mentions those movies during the interview and they're like, yep, yep. You understand the vibe we want. First is kind of an interesting outlier. We talk about the state of British film at the point where. Oil is entering. I would say Stephen Frears at this moment in the yeah. early 90s is a very exciting filmmaker. Yeah. Um, and he's that, not doing the stodgy prestige no. stiff upper lip. He thing. made movies about real life. Yeah. Like The Hit and My Beautiful Andre right. and Sammy and Rosie Get Laid and all that. But then he could also give you Dangerous Liaisons. Exactly. He could give you, I mean, The Grifters is a different thing, but that is a period movie. It's a crime movie. It's pulpy. It's it's yeah. intense. But he could he could jump around. I mean, he's similarly, yeah, like a, 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 a genre hermit crab. Because uh, you know, he it, is a real hermit crab. Right. Have you seen that guy too? Yes. He looks like a hermit crab. Yes, I there, say that with all. Some Jack Black interview where he's it's one of those fucking timeline of my career mm-hmm. videos where he's talking about working on high fidelity and he says that he calls Stephen Frears the warlock. <laughs> cool. He's, he's got these great bushy eyebrows. He does. Um, but but like yeah, if you go like on one end of British film at this point in time, you have like the real sort of like. Ken Loach, uh, Mike Lee, working class, humanist, realist, you know, and then you have this sort of Merchant Ivory, the Richard Attenborough, whatever. Frears is someone who's maybe more of a career model for what Boyle could want to do, and then Boyle's adding a new sort of energy and countercultural sort of bent to it. John Hodge continues practicing medicine. Okay. Um, cause he's like, not sure if this is going to work out. Mm-hmm. Just an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, 
there, here's a Boyle story about apparently during Scottish medicine, the the uh, doctors and nurses would have acronyms that they would use with each other. It was okay. just a funny story to like, you know, communicate with each other without the patient understanding. So, oh, that's okay. FLK, funny looking kid. Fun. Uh, but the most extreme one, and this is God's honest truth, Danny Boyle says, is TFB, TF Bundy, which stands for totally fucked, but unfortunately not dead yet. Wow. Anyway, um, Shallow Grave, mm-hmm. a very interesting thing. No guns in this movie. Yes. Um, Boyle said, we didn't want to use guns. There's something wholly false about people with guns in Britain because there are very few guns around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we wanted it to feel realistic in that way. I saw a quote from him where he said, uh, even more specifically, we didn't want to Americanize the story, which America found dead in a shallow grave. <laughs> Put him there. Yep. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, thing with, uh, his pre-production process, like you were saying, he's very prepared. Mm -hmm. He gets a big book. He puts photographs in them. Uh, he shows it to actors and talks to them about the photos and stuff like that. Um, he doesn't storyboard though. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Re-preparation. He Budget says, was like a million pounds, and they said most of it was spent on the apartment set? Yes. Um, they lived in the flat mm-hmm. for 10 days, rehearsing, watching movies. The three actors in Boyle. Yes. Um, they watched The Grifters. They watched Goodfellas. They watched something called The Day, I Believe. I don't know what that is. The quote I saw, I don't remember if it was from Eccleston or Fox, was the main thing we... Boyle wanted us to all live together so we could learn about each other. And the main thing we learned about each other after 10 days was that we didn't like each other very much. Um, one billion pounds, as you said. Not one billion, one million. Yeah. The, one billion would be a bit of an inflated budget for this film. Dr. Evil over here. That would be kind of, well, it'd be kind of like, Quick mm, did bump someone walk away with some money? Yeah. <laughs> that flat is nice. It's nice. It's, it's nice. fucking nice. Yeah, in these um, days, I might go for a billion dollar uh, it meant housing that, market as it is. It meant they Especially could cast who London. they wanted. Uh-huh. They wanted the the female character to be an outsider, so they cast not Scottish. Sure. Uh they cast Carrie Fox. From New Zealand. We all know from New Zealand. She's Angel in the Angel at my table. Oh um, shit. Yeah. Ewan McGregor had been in uh a Dennis Potter, I think a you know, TV movie called okay. Lipstick on Your Collar. Uh-huh. Uh and yeah, uh where he's young and pretty. I mean, look at him. Yeah, it 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 kind of sucks how hot he is in this movie. Does it? Does it suck? Kind of sucks. Um, uh, Car- Car- he Fox. has charms coming out of his eardrums. Is it what it, says it is absurd how much of a star he is in this. Ewan? Yeah. The hair alone. You're just yeah. like, get this guy whatever he wants. Yeah. Um, Eccleston had been in this movie called Let Him Have It, which is this very good um, British movie about a the uh, a, a person who is. Uh, hanged. Um, okay. Like, even though he probably, he, for, for essentially for yelling, let him have it mm. during the commission of a crime. And he was probably like mentally challenged in some sort of way. And like, okay. you know, it was crazy that the British government executed him. Anyway, like a sort of social realist film where Eccleston gives this very like committed performance. Eccleston is also a, a Mancurian? Uh, yes, he is from Manchester. So he's not Scottish either. So, yeah. you know, Ewan's the only Scot here. Uh, Eccleston, I think he's from Salford, which is another, you know, suburb of. Manchester. But Carrie Fox is far and away the most established of the three because she's been in a proper... I would say so, right? Movie. Yeah. 
And like, then the other two guys are like theater and have done TV films, basically, right? Uh, essentially, like the yeah. only major movie Eccleston has done is Let Him Have It, and that's like a small English film. Sure. And he'd done some TV. Mm-hmm. He's in Cracker. Do you know Cracker? Uh, Robbie Coltrane, correct? Yeah. He's yeah. He, he's one of the guys in Cracker. Okay. Um, Ewan is this, you know, young pretty guy. He yeah. was in that surfing movie. What's the surfing? Let me look it up. He was in like, you know, the Scottish Blue Crush. <laughs> Okay. Oh, right. It was called Blue Juice. Wow. <laughs> and uh, Catherine Zeta Jones is in it. But even that, I think, comes out sure. after Shallow Grave. He's nobody. But these two guys are basically just sort of like tapped as like, these are probably future leading men. And right? as you say, yeah. Ready Fox for the is, grabbing. Yeah. Fox is the closest thing to, they didn't test her. Yeah. Like they tested sure. the guys. They didn't need to test her because she'd been an angel at my table. Yeah. And uh, Robert Carlyle was the original choice right. for McGregor's part. Yes. Um, and, uh, I think he didn't make sense he, for he it. He would have been too severe for this, I think. And he's not a yuppie. Like, no. he, he, he can't do yuppie the way that you and, you and put that sweater on him, his hair's all feathery. Yeah. You're like, yeah, that's who this guy, I get who this guy is. It's also, it's fascinating because, uh, Eccleston has such an extreme face, right? Just what a, what a crazy guy. Right. And no wonder he's played a million villains yes, in Hollywood. Yeah. Yes. And even something like Crazy when, when he played the doctor, it was sort of pointedly casting against type and playing with his menacing energy. Yeah. Right? And then having him play this intellectual, benevolent, you know. Um, Obviously, you know what Ewan McGregor's major connection at this point is to the movie industry. Uh, his uncle, uncle is Wedge Antilles? Yes. His uncle is Dennis Lawson. Right. Who is Wedge in Star Wars, but is also in like he's in Local Hero. He's in a ton of Ultimate British Nepo movies baby. and TV. Huh? Ultimate Nepo Oh yeah, you and oh yeah. Embarrassing. Nepo nephew, let's say. Um we should, and, I, that's my new pitch of Alter, the Nepo nephews. Uh, yes, drag them. Um you and uh dropped out of school at 16. What I was gonna say just before we move on. Mm-hmm. Eccleston, as opposed to Carlisle, let's say, and I know they were up for different roles, right? Eccleston's yes. face is so extreme, and yet you are surprised at the beginning of this movie how well they are able to style him to sort of uh, soften him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you could ever do that to Carlisle. Not in the way this movie needs, in my opinion. Although I love Robert Carlisle. Yes. Um, Keith Allen, Mm -hmm. who plays the roommate, Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously he is also in Transpotting. As a drug dealer. Perhaps the same drug dealer. Possibly the same character. At this point is known. He's quite well known in Britain. Uh-huh. Like as sort of like a comedy guy, mostly, sure. and so I think that's why that's part of the casting with him is when he shows up, you definitely are not like this guy will be dead in ten minutes. Right, he's it's like the supposed biggest to be surprising yeah. name in the movie, or at least the most well known face. Um, and you're like, am I going to see this guy's soft penis anytime soon? Yeah, and you know you are. Well, inshore, uh, <laughs> um, Keith Keith Allen, as I also mentioned in the next episode, Lily Allen's dad. Also, Alfie Allen's dad. Yeah. Speaking of Nakamura babies. Crappy dad, though. Um, apparently, Keith Allen loved being naked in front of the whole crew. Uh, most okay. actors want as few crew around as possible and take their clothes off at the last possible second. Keith was naked in the breaks, sitting around smoking. He's a guy who's got a tricky reputation, right? <laughs> I think so. 
People, people were angry at uh, Lily Allen for pushing back on the Nepo baby thing. And it's like, not that we need to fucking litigate this. But it's like a well-known fact that he like had multiple children with multiple women and did not raise any of them. Yeah, he's definitely right. I, I, yes, he has like six kids by four women. And he's he's one of those guys in Britain who's always getting in trouble. Yeah, and like most of his kids like, a tabloid have guy, met him know. twice. Well, no, th- look, uh, look. What's important is that you should put out a statement in response to the Nepo Baby article if you are a Nepo Baby. That's the thing. That's the best way to deal with it. It's, That'll it, diffuse it the situation. Yes. And no one is going to get upset at you. Yes. No, that's always the best. Uh, Just a, a, a wide statement. Everyone should comment on everything all the time. My thing with Jamie Lee Curtis, and then we can stop talking about this, is like I feel like she's just kind of like, I can, I don't care. I'm Jamie Lee Curtis. I can throw myself in front of this. Yeah. You know, I'm not like some of these guys where it's like, why are you famous? She's like, look, I'm Jamie Lee Curtis. Even if people get mad at me for a year, I'm still Jamie. Yeah, I'm still like, like in Halloween. Jamie Lee Curtis in interviews for years, we need to stop talking about this, yeah, stop. Has, has always said like, it was down to me and another girl. And I'm absolutely sure I got the part because right. I was the daughter of the one from Psycho. I have never denied for a second that that gave me an advantage. So she put out a statement. No one should ever talk about anything. Everyone should get off of social media. Why are you uh, doing a podcast right now? <sighs> it's over. Last episode. <laughs> uh, John Hodges in the movie brie- briefly. Mm-hmm. He likes to use his screenwriters uh, in movies. Yes. It's yes. a little joke of his. Yes. Uh, although he says he could never persuade Alex Garland to do it, who he did many movies with. Yeah. Because Alex Garland is too shy. Mm. Uh, film shot in Glasgow, set in Edinburgh, much like the train spotting, which did the yep. same thing. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, they got a little bit of money because they shot in Glasgow. Almost everything's set in the apartment. They use, like you said, you know, that's that's their big thing. Uh, they spent 10 days doing exteriors. And uh, they made a blood pack that once they were done with that, they wouldn't go back. And then after that, they were in the packs. studio. We'll talk about this in the next episode, yeah. too. Yes, you're right. Yeah, yep. the, the train spotting has a good blood pack. Yeah. Um, and uh, Eccleston, uh, you know... Uh, got freaked out by the mortuary scene. He didn't want to yes. get pushed into the uh, locker. We're talking the final bit, yeah. right? Yeah. The thing I read was I that... I would also not like that. Yes. The thing I read was that... So th- there's like a, another open... Uh, uh, whatever the fuck you call it. Chamber above him, right? When they open the door, it's like yeah, two yeah, yeah. stacked on top of each right. other. That they had like a crew guy... Going there with him. Yeah, at the top bunk, essentially. Yeah. To, like, assure him so that when they closed the door, he could, like, recite to him, like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. They're going to open the door. We're not going to be stuck in here. Um, They ran out of money. The last day of filming is the scene where the policeman comes to interview them. Okay. And they had to sell most of the set, like the furniture. Yeah. To buy, get enough money to buy enough celluloid to film that scene. That's wild. That is pretty cool. Yeah. They asked for, like, a little bit more money, and Channel 4 was like, no. So they were like, I guess we're selling this furniture. Um, But the apartment is such a cool set. Yes. Right? Yes. The flat. Yes. I should say. So Um, inspired by Edward Hopper paintings? Yeah. And Caravaggio, apparently. And, uh, you know, I think the set is, like, the big, the secret star of this movie. Yeah. Like, when Eccleston's going up to the attic, you get where he's going. You know what I mean? Just, like, the geography yeah. of the set's really clever. Ben, you've never seen Margaret, right? I have One not. of my favorite movies. One of the things I love about it is you can tell a movie that was actually shot in real New York apartments because every angle is, like, an angle of necessity of, like, oh, this thing is built like this and there's only one corner and the, the shots are this tight or whatever. Yeah. And you immediately feel the difference between that and any movie or show you've seen that's set in New York, but they built an apartment. 
Totally. And it's like you have to build these weird dimensions that end up on screen looking like a pretty nice apartment, but allow you the flexibility to actually be able to put the camera in different places. Right. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah. No, no I say let's talk about the plot, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know. Um, Opening of the film is... Christopher Eccleston delivering a monologue to the camera. Mm. Quite clever of this movie. Yes. It's a pretty good trick. Camera spinning. Because he's dead. Yes. Uh, we don't know that. No. Spoilers for viewers. You think he's in bad shape. He looks uh, pallid. But you're that's true. But still, I feel like the, the first time I watched this movie, I definitely was, uh, you know, fooled. Oh, I... Yeah. D- yes. No. Did not see it coming. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, he's delivering this little monologue about friendship, uh, your yeah. friends. Choose you know, life. You know, right. <laughs> um, and the first chunk of this movie is mm-hmm. him and his flatmates. He's David. His flatmates are uh, Alex, that's Ewan, yeah. and Juliet, that's Carrie Fox. I, I related a lot to Ewan McGregor in this movie, by the way. Why? Because he keeps saying, David! 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 Uh, and they need a new, uh, they need a new uh, flatmate. Although, like... Do they? I don't know. I guess they they have a spare room, right? In their giant apartment. Yeah. They and all seem to be doing fine. They all seem to be doing fine. Because, um, like, Ewan is a journalist. Mm-hmm. Juliet's a doctor. Mm-hmm. And David's, like, an accountant or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, why do they even live together? These guys will probably afford... It, it is a nice apartment. Yeah. So I guess you want to keep it going. It's one of these things where, I, where I'm like, how do they even know each other? They probably went to university together sure. or something. Like that that is that would be the vibe, I would assume. Right. Yeah. Like they're like uni friends. They seem to have a nice like living dynamic together. They like they sit like a, down to have dinner. Yeah. They drink wine together. They're they cook sweeties. for each other. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think it's like it's just that they're they little have bitches a good to everyone else. Yeah. 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 And they're, you know, they're having so much fun interviewing all the flatmates. Being mean. Yeah, but I feel like it's also that they are like, we are cool yes you know british scottish you know intellectuals this is the 90s we are not fuddy-duddies and a lot of the people they're interviewing they see as like fuddy the guy with the red hair is a real wanker yeah where they're just like we we're cooler than this guy we can like pick him apart you know like that's like the glee table vibe you can't bring our i mean i uh, david yes david david uh, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this as well, where, like, uh, they, they were the fucking New York fucks. And you go to, like, some house party at some apartment, some loft in Brooklyn in, like, 2008, and you'd be like, was there a central casting call for roommates? Like, you have, there's an aesthetic, there's a vibe to this apartment that feels like it is extended to who is allowed to live here. A little bit. Yes. Yeah. You know, I just immediately recognize these types of people and their whole thing. Have you ever? I mean, it continues. I mean, have you done it? Evolved as far as the Brooklyn roommate goes. Yeah. It's like that meme where it's like someone like named Grass doesn't can't wash the dishes because you know it's like they emotionally they're unable to come on you don't know what i'm talking about i don't know this means it, it, it is sounds funny, funny and drag them have you ever done the thing griffin because i did this when i moved sure. to new york where you're like you know looking at listings on craigslist mm-hmm. and applying to be a roommate like okay. i had no money to my name and i had like barely any credit so i couldn't like get my own apartment uh-huh. so instead i was like visiting apartments where that need it was exactly this that needed yeah. a roommate and then you're doing the kind of thing of like they're showing you around obviously but also you're like I, am i impressing them like 
with like yeah am I, am I uh, roommate material you never did this i feel like no i i guess i i did i only ever lived with friends Whereas I lived with strangers. Yeah. My first two apartments. I had the same roommate for like nine years, basically. Okay. Well, we love, we love Sophie Fader. Yes. Uh, and then I had two other one year situations, but both of them were with. Uh, you, knew, you knew the people. Childhood right. friends. I did. Th- I do think I looked at places like that, but. It yeah. was just the stress of like, oh, I'm not cool enough. I think that's why I then pivoted to. Like, I remember yeah. I saw this one apartment on Avenue B. Yeah. And it was this girl, and it was clearly one of those things where she was like, this is my bedroom, that's your bedroom. We would need to walk through your bedroom to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Because clearly the bedroom was probably supposed to be a living room or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then she was like, and we like to party a lot. And I was like, all right, uh, cool. You know, but I was just immediately, I was like, they're not going to pick David Sims. <laughs> like, yes. I don't think David Sims is going to be the one they want to walk through his, his room to get to the bathroom. No. Uh, you know, he just wanted to look cool. And instead, sometimes you meet a real, you know, Juliet, Alex, and David. Yeah, there's also something to the fact that they're like, like three different types. Yes. Go on. How do I even put this? Uh, I mean, David and Alex are definitely different types. Yes. You know, Juliet's the girl, but she's kind of also the smartest one. And right. like the most whatever. She's sort of the boss. The fact that they have like, like, uh, David's more serious and Alex is more silly. Yeah. Eccleston is more serious. They each have their own vibe. When you cut to that shot of the three of them in the chairs, their sort of side of the interview, Mm -hmm. it does almost feel like they're cartoon characters or something where they're like three designed. Yeah. You know? Um, Hugo, Keith Allen, Uh shows up. Sure. And he's like, I don't know. And I feel like immediately that Ewan's whole thing is he's like, well, this guy's cooler and scarier than me. I want him to be my roommate. Right. Like I, He's like, this guy's got me beat. He's the one guy who alphas them. Yeah. And I think they like that the idea of him living with them seems to give them more edge. Right. It's like, oh, let's pick this. This is a swerve for us. Right. Not like the sort of busybody who goes to work every day. Yes. This mysterious weirdo. He's got a great look. Who likes to be look. dick out on set in between takes. Oh, boy. <laughs> what? What's he's up? He's got a great look. He does have a good look. He's got this like sort of like car coat i think is what they call it Uh like that mid-length kind of like leather jacket he looks like a tough cool guy that i would want to have a pint with well down at the pub and when they're like hey buddy you want to play scrabble creek (laughs) oh dead from drugs dead dead from the drugs money on bed yes um now we've covered a simple plan Mm -hmm. is there anything else we've covered like this Great question. What would you do? Because Ben's response to simple plan, plain full of money, was like, pocket the money, don't get caught. Easy. <laughs> bingo, bango. No problem. Ben's sugar in the gas was, tank. If I'm in that movie, it ends with me on an island. <laughs> <laughs> so shallow grave. Like, here's what, I, w- an island? Here's yeah. what I would do. You know, 911, ambulance, please. Yes. Dead mm-hmm. man in my house. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. here's the thing the characters in these movies uh, never think about. Mm. Always more complicated. Why Why would he have so much money? He definitely didn't just save it. It's not his pocket money. It's never like a one and done. So you wouldn't have the thought of like, because what they do, obviously, they do two things. Yeah. They keep the money and they chop him into pieces and bury him in a shallow grave. Right. Now, you could, would you be tempted to call the ambulance? Mm-hmm. Hey, this guy died of a drug overdose in my house. Can you come you yeah. know, deal with that? And they'd be like, great. And there was nothing else on the bed. And they'd be like, nope. Just him and put the money in like my closet. Right. 
And anytime I want a cheeky Nando's, just peel a tenner off. <laughs> That's my nut. Sure. Right? Or even just take like a thousand off the top or something sure. like that. Like do the classic like cops in a drug bus where they kind of stuff a few things in their vests, right? Look, you know. I think I'm enough of a worry wart. Right. That I would be too terrified to even You'd be touch sweating those bills. The money. Yes. Right? Who knows when push comes to shove what I would do in that exact situation? I could say with a hundred percent confidence. I would not chop up the body. That is a thing I would yeah. never do. Yeah. Any absolutely. temptation I would have money-wise would never lead me to, well, time to cut some bones. I, I would say this, actually. I don't think there's any amount of money that would lead me to cut up a body like they do. This movie makes it look so unpleasant. Now, I've never seen a movie that makes it look fun. Right. It's not one of those things that I think would be easy. No. Easy breezy. And a lot of it's maybe bingo, bingo. Eccleston doing a very good job playing the displeasure of it. He plays displeasure well. Yeah. Uh, but it really does seem like a, an awful day's work. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's like they do have, she works at the hospital. Yeah. So she's got that and it is pretty cool. Yeah. That kind of like, look, hospital has an incinerator. Mm -hmm. You know? Yes. Like, I'll just chuck some stuff in there. Hands and legs. Yeah, but the some stuff is the part. You know, yeah. it's even like, look, I wouldn't want to carry around a full dead body, but if the task was, if you can get this full dead body to the incinerator, we're in the clear. But they don't do that. No. No. Cut it up. I don't think there's any circumstances under which I would cut up a body. Like, if Never. I robbed... This is what I'm saying. Ro Roger or Robert Durst? What if I already forgot. David, thank you. I was about to bring this up. Is it Ron Robert Durst? Robert Durst. Bobby. If I Robert Durst Dursted someone where yeah. I, he, I uh, accidentally killed someone, I'm putting accidentally in quotes there... You know, Durst's response was like, well, I guess I'll chop up this body. Do you remember this part of the story, Ben? And he got off for this. He got acquitted. He, he I kind of don't. He I kind of don't. Fit. He was already under suspicion for a murder that had happened maybe a decade earlier. Yes. If not two, I can't remember if this was... No, it's, this was it's number just, two. It's because his, his wife was, was the, the initial. At this point, it was only the wife, right? Uh -huh. But had been a suspect. Right. And had maybe sort of narrowly avoided... Uh, uh, you know, uh, conviction. Getting conviction. caught. Thank you. Yeah. Um, his claim was, I got into a fight with my landlord, who was my downstairs neighbor. Yes. This is when he's like living in Texas. Yes, correct. Right. In the middle of the fight, he took out a gun, threatened to shoot me, and then accidentally shot himself. Mm -hmm. I had nothing to do with his death, but here I am alone in a room with a dead body, and I'm already under suspicion for a previous murder. What am I supposed to do if not chop it and dump it in the ocean or whatever? And they were like, why wouldn't you call 911? And he's like, well, if they find me here with a dead body, they'll think that I did it. So the le less suspicious thing to do is take a bone saw, and separate it into 10 different garbage obviously, bags. Obviously, I believe he... He got off on murder. He pleaded guilty. But he to was like, like yes, I absolutely did chop and dispose of the I body. I believe he was like maybe by accident. found guilty of evidence tampering, which yes. was hard to disprove because sure. he chopped the body up. Uh -huh. But I remember that was one of those things where like the forensic guy was like, that guy knew how to chop a body. Yeah. No. It, like that wasn't like an amateur job. No. Like anyway, um, if I'm in that situation, the Durst situation, yeah. 911, please. Absolutely. Dead yeah. man in house. Yes. But Ben, would you keep the, would you take the money? I would skim off the top. You yeah, skim off skim. the top. Just for, for cheeky sure. Nando's, yeah. Definitely. Well, I would. I mean, because like, I, I would take like a couple of stacks. Yeah. What do the cops know? 
You know what I mean? Nothing. Like they could have cut that in half and yeah. still called. Yes. That's what I felt like. I felt like the mistake was they were obviously too greedy, but like this was an opportunity to, yeah, take a good amount of that money and still get away with it. I'm glad we're just all on the same page, which is team never chop up a body. Never, never, ever would I do that. Uh, and I just want to also mention there is another movie that is in this wheelhouse, which <laughs> is The Killing. And I still stand oh, sure, by sure. that I think I could have pulled off the heist. The thing with The Killing is that it's a lot of personalities at play there, too. Yeah. You're dealing with a lot of guys who are like, I'm really down on my luck. I do anything for this. And you're like, well, I don't want to be associated with someone with that energy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I want someone just like, I'm a professional. I do this all the time. And if I don't get the money, that's okay. I'm fine. Yes. I'm set. Not someone who's like, oh, Jesus, my wife's going to kill me if I don't get my 10 grand. F flop set, sweat yeah, thrillers. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, movies like this stress me out so much where they're like, it's easy. It's easy. It's Chop a perfect plan. It's one step, and then we're in the clear. And you're like, okay, but it's minute 15, and this it, movie is 100 <laughs> minutes long. Yeah, what if you actually you, you check the time? Oh, there's only 20 minutes in this movie. Yeah. And the next movie is, the next scene is just them being like, ha, 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 The rest of the movie is just they move into a nicer apartment and host dinner parties. <laughs> Nothing ever catches up to them. But Before the Devil Knows You're Dead is another one where That's I'm just like, one, just yes. stacking bad decisions atop one another to constantly think like, if we just do this, then we'll be fine. Yeah. Just um, one more move and then we're fine. But this, I like that it's less about them trying to outrun and more about how much it breaks their brains. What I love about it is, yes, you're you're cutting to these guys who are looking for the just money, turning but they're yeah. just fucking other people up. Yes. And it's just kind of Danny Boyle's being like, that's the tsunami. It's 50 miles away. Yeah. But, you know, that'll hit them eventually. Right. But when we're cutting to them, they don't know that that's happening. They're just bougie little fucks. Yeah. Who are like, yeah, well, we did that. <laughs> we can do anything. And they're know? not even spending the money well. No. Like, they go to some New Year's, like, uptight, like, party, and they're not having a good time no. at all, clearly. I and mean, it's like you're not even doing a good job with this, guys. Now, so here's my question. Who's mm -hmm. fucking here? Great question, because... There's the, this early scene where... The aforementioned Carrie Fox tits out scene. Right, where... where in Seems like, to uh, imply that no one's fucking. Exactly, but she's kind of doing this power move because Ewan's being a little shit. Yeah. Like, banging on the bathroom door yes. with her mail or whatever. Oh, right, because right, she's got, like, a note from a lover that yes. he's, like, reading aloud. Yeah. And she, like, opens the door naked and, like, grabs it. Right. And that shuts him up. And it's like one of those things where you're like, ooh, this is like saucy roommate stuff. Right. right. Where like, but like no one, there's no romantic element no, specifically. And I found the tenor of that scene to me reads as this is not the first time he's seen her naked, but also it has never been in a sexual capacity. Yeah. And, and she knows it. And that's why he's shutting up because Correct. she's like, shut up. Right. Fuck you. I yeah. fuck who I want, not you. I would say based on their relationships and, and how they kind of unfold, it seems like theirs is like, less sexual than the other two because yeah. there's like the moment where they're very drunk and cross dressing yes. that's what i'm saying that's exactly right. what i was getting to right yeah where right. they do have this kind of brother sister thing or whatever but also yeah they, you know it's like they're messing around it's it's blurry but also the way that carrie fox is able to weaponize her sexuality against eccleson in her own defense makes me think that she has not pulled that ripcord before. Right. Well, he's the more straight and narrow one, right? Right. So maybe, yeah, like, he doesn't call her outside the lines like right. they do. There's a moment at, actually, I just referenced this, at the at the New Year's party where mm -hmm. they're dancing and she's swinging Ewan, 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 Ewan around and he falls to the ground 
And there's a shot of him, you know, perspective looking up at her and you can kind of see just a little bit of her dress. And I said out loud, Hachi Machi. Oh, you said that out loud. I did. Because uh-huh. she... Were you sitting in your lounge in the 50s I was. when you did that? I was in my den. In a, in a vinyl chair? Uh-huh. <laughs> your rumpus room? That's correct. Exactly. <laughs> we were wearing a satin smoking jacket? <laughs> I was. Hachi Machi. <laughs> uh, did Nelly punch you on the arm? <laughs> <laughs> she did uh, uh good um what does eccleston want with this fucking money obviously he draws a short straw that's why he has sure. to chop it up but like he doesn't even have any fun no At least they have stupid fun that's the thing i mean he's he's fundamentally kind of a joyless guy yeah right it feels like i mean and i get that like it's good to have that roommate it's good to have the roommate sure. who kind of keeps the clocks running in the house, right? Absolutely. You know, it's like... Would you be surprised to hear that was never me? That wasn't you? No. Oh, no, you weren't the one who was no. like, hey, we kind of need to figure yeah, out who so cleans I the bathroom when. really appreciate the value of <laughs> having an Eccleston at the home. Um, Here's so, a funny thing about me. Same. <laughs> well, I... Hmm. I was that person, but I was... At times... Sure. But I would say I was never the best in that Your verse... I'm more versed than you two. Yeah. But I probably I'm I'm more the social chair. Like in, in a room in a in a house. Like I would be the, the social chair. Yeah, but I'd also the say one who's kind of like making plans and like having are, people you are over. The Eccleston in the structure of this podcast yes, being am. run. But only oh maybe that's a suggestion that this podcast is somewhat unevenly balanced. Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'll never forget when I told Fran your birthday. Uh-huh. It was your birthday. Okay. And I said to Fran. It's Griffin's birthday. And she was like, he's a Pisces. And I was like, uh, I guess so. She was like, they're all water signs, David. That's why it's so hard. And I was like, yes. Uh-huh. But I didn't think about it until then. Okay. Two water signs. You know who else is a water sign? My daughter. Yep. Yes, it's true. Have a fun one. <laughs> um, anyway, Eccleston is kind of, I just feel for him. He just doesn't even, you know, mm-hmm. he chopped off some arms and legs and he didn't even get to have you like a- feel a, for him? You get to have like a fun evening. I think this guy sucks. I think he that's, does suck. He's the he is the one that's the most. Suspicious. I think that's his own doing because it's like I feel it, no pity for him. Do you feel pity for anyone in this movie? Not really, right? No, but like but you I like the others more. I enjoy yeah the others, and they're silly, and so that almost there's more logic to them doing something so insane. Where yeah, you're like ah, these people are like arrogant and kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Eccleston, you're like, you should know better. What the fuck is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And the second, of course, that's that's why, it, for me, it does track that he goes paranoid. Sure. Because he's the one who's just, his brain is like, wait a second. This is going to come back to haunt me. Why Why would this guy have money? There are people who must want it. Like, right? He, like, immediately sure. starts figuring out, like, no, I'm just in trouble. In a weird way, the movie that uh, this reminded me of, obviously a far more recent movie, but one I had seen before this, is the um, the comedy, the Rick Alberton movie, Ooh. which is a bleak movie. That's, yeah. that's a bleak. Very bleak. bleak. That but makes it, Shallow Grave looks like fucking Disney compared oh, to absolutely. the comedy. Yeah. But it's similarly about these sort of like rich, disaffected... Yes. Uh, sort of like needing to find some challenge in their lives, like um, creating a, conflict. Apology for the crude word, but this is a British miniseries. We're doing. Uh, cunts, you might call them. Hey, now. Yeah. Uh, but in, in the comedy, they are obviously, those are people where you're like, oh, they never had a job. Like they've yes. always had money. Right. Because of whatever. 
their trust families. fund babies. Yeah. And, and the conflicts they're creating yeah. are more like small scale social disasters. Right. Yeah. But but it is that same kind of thing of like, I need to create danger in my life because my life is so insulated. I mean, that movie is very interesting. I haven't seen it since it came out. And I remember being very arrested by it when yeah. I saw it. Um, but obviously that movie really poses the challenge of like, can you stick with this when yeah. you really hate everybody? Yeah. Whereas in Shallow Grave, you're like, you know, I might not like any of these guys, but their demise is accelerating so quickly that I'm compelled just by that. Right, well, you know, right. this is a he's, crime movie. He's got right the sort of B noir hook to it. Right. I mean, there was some review I saw that uh, said like the, the the magic of this movie is that it takes what is like kind of a very traditional American fifties B noir plot and marries it to an essential nineties Britishness. It yes. puts and, it in a like milieu social satire. Like, yes, like modern British social satire. Yes. Like, but, watch but, these yuppies get their due. Cultural setting that you're not used to yes. with this sort of plot. Yeah. Um, so, we're sort of seeing their relationship disintegrate. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, we're seeing these sort of, like, violent guys. It's, um, you know, Peter, Peter, Mullen. Peter Mullen and the other guys the great played Peter by Mullen. Leonard O'Malley. We love mm -hmm. Peter Mullen. Yeah. And if Peter Mullen comes knocking at your door, that is worrisome. You don't want that guy showing up. And they're beating the fuck out of people looking for this money. Low-key one of the best actors alive. He's incredible. Have you ever seen My Name is Joe? No. You would really like that movie. Yeah. That's a Ken Loach movie as well. Yeah. But, uh, but he won Ken Best Actor for it, where yeah. he plays an alcoholic. No, I'm familiar with it. such a good movie. Yeah. Um, but he's a great actor and a great filmmaker. Great filmmaker in his own right. But uh, but but yes. No, I, I, the way they set this up, I think, is uh, kind of ingenious. But the sort of cross-cutting to these acts of, like, violent interrogation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not right. understanding what the relation is until the threads start to come together of these these guys are looking for the man they just killed. Right. And so these guys are going to end up on our lead's doorstep um, sooner or later. They And then there's this sort of separate thing where the flat below them gets broken into, the cops show up. That kind of sets everyone on edge. Sure. Even though it has nothing to do with them, right? Well, I was kind of thinking it was yeah. That's that was my read too. Yeah, that, that's them looking for them, correct? Yeah, and they just yeah. like they just go miss, to the wrong floor. They missed the right. Floor. That was my right. read. Yeah, that's probably yeah. true. Yeah, um, but then there's just the interaction with the cops where they're like, "Yeah, there's three roommates, no fourth roommates." And the cops are like, "We weren't asking about a fourth roommate." And it's like, "Well, you shouldn't because they don't exist and they never have, never had one, and you can't check." You know, which is what I, again, if some detective was at my door and was yeah. like, what's your name? And I'd be like, I don't know. What's your name? You know, I would just immediately crumble. You know what's low key, maybe the most psycho decision they make in this movie? What's that? That they just kind of like sit on the dead body for a couple days and go like, well, let's not rush to any. It, 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 yeah, sure. <laughs> they just show them opening the door. If like, you're a couple sitting times on it for more like... than a few hours, you kind of do have to chop it up because at a certain point it's like you don't want to do the call. But they're like, like let's you know. just all sleep on and come back to this tomorrow. It feels like they take a couple days before someone even really pitches a plan. Sometimes dishes can sit in the sink for weeks. You know what I mean? I guess they're thinking I to themselves. Yeah. They're thinking to themselves like, well, we still could plausibly be like, I don't know, man. He was in his room. We didn't check. He's a, we don't know the guy. Yeah, but at that point, no, I agree. You're almost in too deep because the nine one one comes. They start asking questions, and you're lying about the timeline. 100%. Even if you haven't this done anything why, wrong, this is why you just pick up the phone when you find a dead body. You yes. know, it's it's yeah. too complicated. Yes. Um, David Christopher Eccleston. David, David, 
makes the decision to take the suitcase, move into the attic, uh-huh. drill holes in the floor. Normal. 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 Good. Looks good. <laughs> I love the lighting scheme. Yeah, I love what he's good. done with the place. Really nice up right. there. I mean, it definitely just... will chill you out to be oh, up yeah. there. Right. This is the beauty of casting Eccleston is, oh, right. It takes very little work to make him look demonic. Yeah, he looks like the, you know, and also he's just got the body of like Gary Oldman is the spider monster in Lost in Space, right? He's got this like spindly <laughs> Frankenstein body. Yes. And so Future him Smith. like, yeah, Future Smith. Him like, you know, kind of crouched on the floor, like peeping through the peepholes. Yeah. This is bad peeping. Oh, real bad. If my roommate did that, mm-hmm. I would, I would not trust them. I would move out. I thought you were going to go that far, but you instead just... Well, that's what I think is funny, that they're just like, well, I guess he lives up there now. (laughs) Like, right? You know? Well, he's got the money, too. He does have the money. He does. I still might like be like, you know what? I'm going to go home for... I'm going to go see my parents. Yeah. Eccleston moved into the attic. He's drilling holes. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. But they just sort of hang out, and he's just up there. Well, I think it's like, you know, they're all already starting to mull over, how can I be the only one? With the money. But I think that's a good point. Like, he gets angry when he comes home and they bought the camera, right? Yes. How dare you spend this How money? How dare you go around spending the money? Right. Yes. Now, here's a key difference. They're having fun. They are having fun. He seems to get no joy in life from anything. And it's like, for him, the value of the money is having the stack of money. Like, it almost feels like he has nothing that he wants to spend it on. There is no pleasure that he can derive from the use of the money. It is truly just having the money. It's it's like fucking Gollum with the ring or something. And I think that's what I would do. I would be too afraid to spend it. Well, you're a money monster. I am a money monster. Yeah. And I guess I would just be like, well, at least it's there. Just pat, pat patting, patting my suitcase pat, pat, of money. Pat, 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 at least pat. it's there. Yeah. No, I like my plan of cheeky Nando's. Yeah. Right? The old thing of like, you know what? You just continue to live your life. Yeah. And then once in a while, you peel off a bill. Go do something fun. Now, see, here's my as long p- as you don't go buy a fur coat or whatever. Here's right? my yeah. pitch. I'd buy a fancy car <laughs> with cash. Here's my pitch. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck, but with paper money. This was the thing mm. I never fucking got about Scrooge. Why is this guy so heavy into coins? Let me. Let if me. He wants to take a lap. Let me throw you something at but you. But you can't really swim. Like paper won't hold okay. you. You can swim uh, better than you I, could I, in yeah, coins. Two things. One, you can't swim in coins either. Oh, you can swim in you coins. Can't swim oh, in you coins. can swim in coins. I can you shut the fuck up. Easy. Easy. <laughs> Two paper cuts. Uh-oh. Yeah, as opposed to what fucking copper cuts? <laughs> well, I, again, I'm not pro coin pool either. <laughs> it's 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 a punch up from from coin to paper. Yeah. I Look, mean, it's a uh, fair question. Here's, I don't okay, know. Here's the thing. We gotta go right to the root, right? We need to develop a softer currency. Uh oh, like a sort of right, nice squishy, fluffy currency. Yeah. Like a sort of a velvet, maybe. What are, what are those fidget toys? The pop them? You know those the new fidget toys that the kids are obsessed with where it's like rubber and you pop the things? Yeah, my daughter has a bunch of those. Yeah. yeah. That's what money should be I call made it her dimple. I think it's called a dimple. Yeah, well, I want dimple dollars. Yeah, that used to be, you know, 20 minutes in the car. Just going. Well. Um, some guy, the guys show up. Okay. David kills them mm-hmm. with a hammer. Bad because <laughs> now the guy just seems to like murder or at the very least has made it part of his regular rotation of solutions here's what i would do yeah and i love how this is what this episode is turning into yeah they'd show up and be like where's the money i'd be like right here <laughs> yeah 
please yeah. relieve me of this terrible yes. burden. Yes. It clearly has driven me mad. Horrible mistakes. Yes. Now, maybe they're like, all right, we'll take the money and you have to die. Right. You know, that's the coin flip there. Uh, sure. But, you know, maybe they're just like, great. Thanks. Yeah. Here's the thing that I've always said. Murder, a slippery slope. I think you do it once becomes a lot easier to do a second time. And that's the real scary part. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 not great. No. Um, and so that's when the, you know, that's when things get from bad to worse. That's when sure. that's when it's over, right? Mm-hmm. When he kills those guys and it's then so adds them to the to the shallow grave. When the second guy falls down the stairs, like this movie is it's a hard watch at times. It's, it's interesting really because like, it's interesting to me that it's an 18, which is the highest mm-hmm. rating in Britain, because it's not that violent, but really. But those little moments are yeah. very shocking. Yeah. I also think it's it's the nihilism of the thing. 100%. I think I, I view that rating as a we cannot let young people watch this mm-hmm. morally. Um, do you have the Criterion box? I do, yes. Uh, I love that cover with all the tools. It's beautiful. Have you seen that? I'll show it to you. And there's a there's a Kevin McDonald documentary making of oh, that's from the cool. production of the film that I believe is like his first credit as a documentary that's, filmmaker. That's interesting. Kevin McDonald who goes on to do uh, Into the Void and Oh, that's like from the yeah. hardware store. Yes. That's cool. Really clever. Um obviously the the original poster was just a shovel sure. on a grave. Uh David, the score of this film. Ah uh, uh-huh. Simon Boswell's yes. score. I think it is when they're first burying the pieces of the body in the shallow grave. Mm-hmm. And the score does this very intense, like, dun 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 And I was like, why does this sound so familiar? Tell me. It was the trailer music for Toy Story 2. I swear to you. That's really funny. Isn't that bizarre? Huh. And it's such an odd sting that sounds kind of generic. That when, for I, look, I obviously watched the Toy Story 2 trailer once a week. I always assumed that was some just basic, like, royalty-free trailer music right. library, generic suspense. Like, the, the Toy Story 2 trailer oddly treats the kidnapping of Woody like it is an Ashley Judd movie and how it's presented. And they use... I'm watching it now. It's true. This really a desperate plan. Dun, 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 dun. I'm going to watch it later. Yeah, and then uh, it goes funny. from that to uh, Danny Elfman's main Men in Black theme. Sure. To Hold On, I'm Coming by Sam and Dave. Great. Just an odd collection. Three bangers. Yeah. Simon Boswell, he'd also done the score for The Crying Game. Yes. And so that's cool. I don't know. He's not a big, no offense to him, but he's not got a lot of... Santa Sangre? I think he did the the Yodorowsky movie as well. Yes, he did. That's a good score. That's cool. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, obviously he doesn't stick with uh, Boyle, but it's... it's, Everything in this movie is very accomplished given the like tiny um, budget. Like Brian Brian Tufano, who also will shoot Train Spotting, who's like kind of just like... A guy. Like, he'd done so sure. much. He's like a real old hand. He also shoots Life Less Ordinary. I think they finally split for the beach. Okay. Um, and then uh, Masahiro Hirobuko, Hirokubo, sorry, mm-hmm. is the editor. Uh, and he, he does transporting. He does the beach. He does, okay. You know, he, um, yeah. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. He kills them with a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, at that point, it's we're in the final act, right? Yeah. You know, that's when she's uh, she buys a ticket to Rio. I really like that scene. Yes, with um, 
is it Tony Curran? Oh yes, yes. yes. It's like one of his yes. first. Yes, it's Tony Curran. It's yes. his first appearance in a movie. Yes, he's really good in good like, Zillion Act. He's yeah. really good in Red Road, the Andrea Arnold yeah. movie. Um, but like that scene where he's like direct flight, seven hundred pounds or whatever, and she's like, great, and he's like, or right, isn't that the scene? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he starts like throwing other roots at her, and I feel the stress of her being like, it, it, we already got it. Like, right. why are you throwing me more roots? I don't know. I really like that scene. Yeah. But this is when she also tries to make the sort of... She does the seduction. Survivor-style strategic alliance with Eccleston to survive. Yes. Yes. Uh, and get some money from him to buy the plane ticket. Yes. Yes. Um, and Alex, as a journalist, is then sent to Assigned. cover the yes. story of three bodies are found in a shallow grave in the woods. Right. Yes. That's and such so a funny that's scene. when it's kind of like, okay, like, you know, we're we're in the last stage of this. That's such a funny scene with his editor in the bathroom where he's like, three bodies found dead. And he's like, three bodies? I know nothing about three bodies. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm assigning you to research. <laughs> you're a journalist. Why are you acting? Yes, you're the one who has to write I only have two roommates. Yeah. Not three. Okay. <laughs> you listen here. Another room is an office. <laughs> it's so funny to be like, I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah, I know. You write the news. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you so you can report it and other people know about it. How does he realize that Juliet and David are sort of going against him? Because hmm. that's when the big fight breaks out. Yes. Uh, like, I, I, I can't remember how he exactly puts it together. But they have the big confrontation that mm -hmm. ends with um, uh, Juliet stabbing, you know, Carrie stabbing Eccleston through the neck. After uh, Eccleston stabs McGregor through the shoulder. Yes. Pinning him to the floor. Yes. Which is a great shot. Yes. Uh, the neck gag is pretty impressive. It is, right? For a movie of this budget. It's one of those things that really gets you. Yeah. Like, if you, you know, you're looking at it, you're like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. It's fake. I get it. Right. But, like, it, the way that's staged where it's suddenly him, I don't know. It just really yeah. works for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And it, it doesn't look like a, a splatter movie gag. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Carrie Fox makes the decision that I would make. Decisional leaf. Yeah, like I'm not going to be like, all right, Ewan, let me help you with this knife in your shoulder, right? Mm -hmm. I might at that point be like, you know what, I'm out of here. Sure. Right? Like, I mean, but did he do her wrong at any point? No. She's really like being pretty like callous and just she, she is, is leaving him the for money dead. and running. Yes. Right. Which is generally frowned upon. To take the money yeah, and You're run. saying she's making the decision you would make in this situation. I can't even do that mental that's exercise because I would why never I'm, get to but this But that's point. why I'm interested by it. Whereas, like, would I yeah. be like, let me get this knife out of your shoulder? Because I think I would just sort of be like, I don't even, I'm going to end up killing you or you're going to end up killing me. See, I'll I, do it by mistake or you'll relate. do it on I, purpose. I would just so obviously here. be the McGregor in this situation that I can't relate. <laughs> you would self-shoulder I'd just be pinned. And I'd show up to cops and be like, I'm the victim, I guess. <laughs> well, Which, that's the thing. I feel yeah. like if they got together and really like made sure they had a good alibi, all of the kinks worked out, yeah. they could have like gotten away with the money together. Yeah, but they're assholes. Yeah. I love movies that end with Blanket. a person. Huh? Blanket. Blanket? Thank you. I love movies, blanket. Oh, blanket, I love movies, blanket. Thank you. You're right. I'm so sorry. I <sighs> thought you were saying that end with blanket. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> I mean, I do love a nice blanket, comfy. Yeah. yeah. No, that end with like, I'm fucked. I guess I'll just move forward anyway. Like, she opens the briefcase. There's oh, no sure. money. And yeah. she's like, well, I'll just get on the plane. 
Right. It's just all the newspaper. It's the it's copies the of the paper reporting the three bodies. That's yeah. how he's screwing her. Yes. Um, Pusher. I just watched Nicholas Winding reference. Oh, Pusher. Sure. Sure. That ends with, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. the character being like, I'm probably going to my death right now, but I guess I'm just going to do it. And you don't see it. Transponding somewhat similar. Transponding has a bit of that. Yeah. There's another one I was just thinking of. Just, I mean, the killing kind of has that. Yeah. You know, they're kind of like, well, might as well go this way, even though it's over. Toy Story 2. Uh-huh. And he's going to grow up. Might as well go this way towards his end of his adolescence. Listen to Wheezy saying. Uh, um, she, I guess she's just like, what's her plan at that point? I'll just go to Brazil, be wanted for murder. Yeah. Have no money. See if I can figure that out. But this is what I'm saying. Don't get to that point, baby. No, you, my... you think that, that that's your takeaway? Look, if any, uh, if, my takeaway is no mistakes made here. If I hold any sway with our listeners, heed my call. Do not murder. I just love the thing of rather than me seeing crime paying uh-huh. or whatever, like mm-hmm. the cops taking her away, sure, or the gangsters getting her or whatever, that she's just sort of like. I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, she's probably screwed, but I like yeah, the open-endedness kind of, fucked. of She can never it. go back home. She's going to be looking over her shoulder for the rest right. of her life. Yeah. Uh, and the cops find Alex pinned to the ground and grinning because he's got the, uh, the cash on the floor. That's how he screwed her. Yeah. He stole the money already. Yeah. He's right. a cheeky bugger. Well, so his, his intention is that uh, he lives. But there seems to be people who, who misinterpret it as he is going to die. Yes. I think that's why they add that final voiceover, right? Yes. Like, because some audiences were confused that he, they thought he was dead too. Uh-huh. He kind of, I think maybe there was a shot initially where he just kind of was like laying there glassy eyed. Okay. Like, or what it looked like he was sure, laying there glassy eyed. Sure, sure, sure. And he was like, ah, fuck, people aren't getting it. Mm-hmm. Here, well, let me look at the post production here. Um, they edited the post production also short. They edited for six weeks. Hey. That's short. Yep. Um, uh, they have this really good soundtrack, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously going to, that continues for all Boyle movies. Yes. Yeah. Boyle uh, likes uh, music. Describes himself as a bit of a raver at the time. Mm. So you've got Andy Williams and Nina, Sim- Sim- uh, Nina Simone, not Nina Simon, right? Um, Nina Simone. Nina Simone. Yeah. He wrote Simon here. JJ, I'm sorry for dragging you. I didn't mean to. I was just confused. Uh, but also there's like those left field songs, which is like cool British house music from the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's I have a hard time picturing Danny Boyle at a rave. There's something so goofy about him. Pumping glow sticks. He's got a big fucking head. He's got like a big round head. <laughs> I think he was... A bright smile. I think he was kind of cooler looking in the 90s, maybe. I mean, it's you know, I'm trying to find like Danny Boyle on set of like, you know, train spotting or whatever. Yeah. Because he is funny. I think he has a very open face. He's such a sweetie pie. Yeah. Anyway, the movie was funded by Channel 4. It was distributed by Polygram, Mm -hmm. which had just done uh, Four Weddings. And it had this huge success. Big crossover success. Exactly. Um, He sees the movie at some test screening, like where they're trying Mm -hmm. to, and he was like, like, I'm, this is mine. Polygram. Polygram wants this. They put it in Cannes. It premiered there. Um, I think out of competition. But got kind of immediate lightning bolt response. Exactly. Like it was one of those things where like they thought they might be in competition in right. some form and then they were not. But Polygram squeezed like a midnight screening out of them. Right. And then they had to add additional screenings. Uh, right. And it, yeah. it took off. Um, but it doesn't come. So that's in May 94. It doesn't come out in the UK until January 95. Wow. Comes out in America in February. 
Okay. Uh, was a huge hit in Britain. Was a tiny thing in America. High local film that yes. year. Yeah. Uh, it vanished in America. It was sold as a Hitchcock film there, says Boyle, mm. which he thinks was a mistake. Okay. Whereas in Britain, it was more sold as like, this is a cool pop culture sure. moment. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Um, but that probably affects the way they so deliberately market train spotting that they, 100%. the success of train spotting, which we'll get into the next episode, was so much them selling it as like, this is a movement. Yes. This is the thing. They, okay. This is what it was that I was trying to find out. Like, Polygram is basically like, we can sell this like an American movie. We don't need to sell this like some boring British thing. Like that, it, that it's a British film. Sure. Like let's just sell it as a fucking movie, which is exactly what they did I with guess Four there Weddings weren't as well. cool British movies yes. at that point. You're like, it's either light comedies or it's... Or costume dramas. Yes, right. And, or, or like art house British films. Right. Like right. Mike Lee or whatever, where it's like, this is a slice of life Those from another country. Those are working class, neorealist. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so, uh, you know, like I said, the reviews were mostly positive, but a little sneery mm-hmm. about the sort of like, hey, this is a very MTV. Is this the British Tarantino? You know, like that sure, kind of thing. Sure. Uh, um, Boyle says he finds that comparison embarrassing because he thinks they're very different. But mm-hmm. he does say we do both love music. True. And he thinks like that's probably why people are making the comparison because we both like to have like vibrant soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, like just just... They had a little money. They mm-hmm. had a decent script. They got some good actors. They built a cool set. They yeah. made a little movie. People liked it. Guarantor. It's a statement right? piece. Yeah, it's, it's it's just a it's a classic first movie. I wouldn't say this is the guarantor. I'd say this is like this is the sort of call and card film, and then yeah. train spotting is, is, the is the guarantor. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, and then it's more just how it was done back then. You yeah. make the tiny movie, then you get to make the little movie. The Look, little movie is. We've you know. covered some people on this show who have surprising, just hit the ground running, like great first movies. Yeah. And we cover people where their first movie feels like a rough draft of something. Right. And this is sort of the more standard first film, which is someone figuring their thing out fairly successfully and just kind of planting their flag and going, watch this space. This is a proper functional movie, but now I really know what I'm doing. Right. What did you guys think? Liked it. Good. I liked it. It made me feel a little queasy at times. Mm. I don't love blood. and Really? Don't love no. blood? Makes me a little lightheaded. What about guts? Hate him. Mm. This movie doesn't have any guts. Uh, look, we recorded uh, Transpotting before this episode just because of uh, guest scheduling. But that's the uh, that's only right. other boil we've recorded, so we just flipped the order of these two. Yes. And this has happened before in the show. Movie suffering a little bit from me just recently having watched Train Spotting, a pretty phenomenal film. Yeah, that's true. That I hadn't seen in so long. This movie, yeah. This... I was so jazzed rewatching Train Spotting, and this I'm like, yeah, good. Yeah, this movie is so just indelible to me as like whatever. Yeah. Just yes. like uh, a movie I saw as a young person. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, I do think it's good though. Yeah, I do too. And it's also just nice to see young hotties. You know, it's nice to see <sighs> yeah. Eccleston and you and just like, you know, as they, they're just kicking off. We talked about it, I feel like, on I the Angel on My Fox Table obviously. episode. But just, yeah, Carrie Fox truly never got the career she deserved. No, I mean, she's had a career, but yeah, no. It's, never stopped know, working. But It yeah. is funny that it's not surprising at all that obviously Ewan quickly explodes out of this in Trainspotting. That's not the least surprising. This is You watch this performance and you go, you could place this guy in anything and he is going to be watchable. And it's not surprising that Eccleston's career going forward in film is mostly like British art films, 
playing villains in Hollywood movies. Yes. And like stuff like, I don't know, Elizabeth or whatever, where it's like, yeah, you're like the third lead in a pretty big British movie. Or yeah. Whatever. You know, like not, you're not going to be. He's, you know. he's got an odd, interesting career. I mean, he's a great actor. Yeah. He's a good, he's a really good television actor mm-hmm. in Britain. Done lots of great theater. He's got like heroes and career. leftovers here. So good in leftovers. Yeah. His Doctor Who legacy is obviously very complicated and odd. But he's actually, I think he actually did the right thing in oh. a way where he's kind of like, I left it on the table. I did one season. Everyone kind of thinks of me fondly. Yeah. I helped relaunch the brand. Yes. And every time they want me to come back for like, the eighth doctor meets the twelfth doctor in the ninth doctor's house. You yeah. know, he's just like, fuck that. I don't want to do it. Well, you know, it, I was digging in after watching this movie. He had always been like, I I had a really bad falling out with all the creatives on the show, yes, Russell T. Davies and Co. Yeah, and so I I was who like, he worked with a lot before Doctor Who. Like, right, he was huge. He was basically like I was done halfway through filming the first production block of that season. I knew I was done, which is why yeah. the first season ends with David Tennant. Like they already were loaded for bear. Right. Being like, we got to move on. one season and done. Right. Um, And then he always would be like, I don't really want to talk about it. I don't like the whole culture of that show, all that stuff. And then in the last like four or five years, he's come around to it and sort of made peace with it. And now has been doing like audio dramas as Doctor, Mm -hmm. as the Doctor from his timeline. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And basically has said like, I would now come back and do it and BBC doesn't want me back. Yeah. Well, every time they do the meetup. I don't know. I don't either. I, I... Fell way off on Doctor Who. I, we all did. Yeah. We all did. That's from a different time. I know it's relaunching. Yeah. So we'll see. It's now the Disney now. It's going to be on Disney Plus, right? Yeah, Disney's yeah. now. I mean, that's good Doctor. for them. Who? Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe I'll watch the new series. Do you yeah. love Doctor Who? No. Just, I just wanted to get that reaction. It's maybe, Doctor no. Who may be some of the most unbend shit ever. <laughs> nope. Yeah, I actually can't even see it. Like, like if it's like you're like Jeffrey or... Wright in Westworld, you're like doesn't look like anything to me. Yeah, 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 yeah no, yeah. it's just like it's just a white screen if it was ever on. <laughs> um, but yeah, Carrie Fox. Yeah, we did kind of talk about this already. She has a does a lot of movies, mm-hmm. a ton of TV. Yeah, works all the time. Yeah, but it kind of does feel like she deserved to be even more famous. I don't know. Yeah, it's also funny. I mean, I feel like she always talks about uh intimacy which is obviously the movie she does with mark rylance that has like unstimulated sex in it on screen and she's like it felt like that changed my perception that was like sort of uh a door closed for me in hollywood after that movie whereas like at that point in rylance's career he's mostly a theater guy he's not doing a lot of film it feels like people forget that he was the guy in that movie and then he just sort of like reinvents himself as Mr. Mumbles highbrow 15 years later in movies, wins an Oscar, and now has his space. Yes. Um, I feel like we already talked about that, but I just, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. It it's is an interesting is. movie, that, you know, Intimacy. Yeah. I like that movie. Um, anything else? No. Danny Boyle? No. Oh, but the box office game. Jeez. Yeah, motherfucker. got the box office game. Oh, wait, we've done this one. Have we? Yes. Interesting. And fairly recently, too. Hmm. Let me see. Is there an expansion? Do the Brits have a different name for box office? No. No, okay. <laughs> I was trying to think of a joke I could do, but no. I'm just, I just like you should. Yeah. I don't know. Jolly Roger. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. What yeah. would they call it? Mm. Probably not Jolly Roger. No. The tally booth. 
<laughs> the tally booth. Let's you take the booth where you do, take the tally. I guess let's do this week. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, this is a weird week where it's at the in, it's expanded the most. The, the weekend okay. it is in time in like a few theaters mm-hmm. is the Quick and the Dead's weekend. Oh okay. So we did that like a year ago. Yeah, yeah. That's a little boring. Sure. So in, in its highest week, it's let's in, make that a rule. It has to be more than a year. It's got to be right. Like if it's like the fucking Aliens weekend, then it's like, well, that was we did that seven years ago. You probably do, don't. remember Do you still that. play the box office game online? No. I stopped all of them. Wow. I, I've kept... I, I, I went cold turkey in all the, yeah. you know, daily games. No, I stopped all the word ones and everything. That's the one I still play. Obviously, you love the box office game. Yeah, but it, it, there is that funny thing sometimes where I'll be like, why is this weekend? And then I'll remember like, oh, this was an episode six years ago. Right, you'll... Yeah, it stirs... It stirs something. But... Yes. The movie's in 84 theaters. This is its widest expansion in, okay. Britain, in America. Okay. This is March 3rd, 1995, Griffin. Okay. Okay? Okay. And number one is a new film. Mm-hmm. It's from the Walt Disney Company. Hmm. And it's a comedy. They should go back to calling themselves the, the Walt, Walt Disney, Disney Company. Company. It's from Buena Vista Distribution. Yes. That's my favorite. BV. It's new this week. Mm-hmm. It is a solid, mostly forgotten entry in the genre of the kid is in charge now. Not the dad. Is it Man of the House? It's Man of the House. But there's also Getting Even with Dad. Yeah. I feel like there's a third. Obviously, there was a general 90s streak of like, kids rule, dads drool. Right. Now, Getting Even with Dad was sort of famous folly because it was like a Macaulay Culkin, high paycheck. And Ted Danson is yes. the dad? Have you seen Getting Even with Dad? I've never seen Getting Even with Dad. No. But that was the one where I. it felt like Macaulay was like close to his top quote and the movie bombs and people were like, well, audiences go sick see of this? anything with this kid. Right. Um, Man of the House used to play on the Disney Channel a lot. Of course. Man of the House, uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas... Chevy Chase, Farrah Fawcett. So it's it's very interesting to me because uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas is obviously what that's like right at the start of yes or whatever. Home yes. Improvement is hot shit, right? I guess Lion King has come out the year before. And w- w- when does Home Improvement start? Yeah, but I'm saying he hasn't really been doing movies. No. He's 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 been on Home he's Improvement big. four years. Yes, yeah, yes. he's getting big. Yeah, you know. People my age, they're always like, "Oh, my first crush was Jonathan Taylor Thomas with his his little hair." And he was a, he was like a little sophisticated. He seemed like he had he had a grown up serious. And I remember when I was a kid, I was like, "I know who that is. That kid is cool." Yeah, yeah, that, I'm that. Yeah, I want to I want to do whatever that kid's doing. Chevy's kind of fallen star at That's this moment. What's it's a little like Chevy's like, oh, he's got to do one of the. He's got. I have to share billing with this yes. kid. And then even, like, Farrah Fawcett being the mom in that is really, like, this is what Farrah Fawcett's career is. I remember that movie being weirdly kind of good. The secret to it Mm. is, and this feels like a real Ben's Porch classic. Have you ever seen this, Ben? I have not. But I love is a mischievous kid. Yes. Fucking with an adult. Fucking with Chevy Chase. Chevy wants to marry his mom. Right. And he's like, well, if you want my approval... Whatever. This feels like a real Ben, like definitely. Jonathan Taylor Thomas is essentially playing Bart Simpson or Dennis the Menace. Hell yeah! And Chevy Chase is the guy he's fucking with. But the supporting cast is like George Went, uh, uh, David Shiner. That's a pretty good little clowning, clowning partner of Bill Irwin. Like it's got good people in it. Uh, you've got uh, Art Lafleur. Yeah, this Love is what I'm talking guy. about. 
Uh, yeah. The Tooth Fairy himself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Zachary Brown. Can't say I know him. But yes, look, it's 96 minutes of fun. What do you want from me? I don't know. I it was like directed by James Orr, who also directed Breaking All the Rules. Put him on the bracket. And, uh, well, wonder when we hold your horses. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. Well, I've never seen it, but it is number one. Um, if it's on Disney Plus, I might watch that tonight. Uh, but doesn't it kind of? It got four. It has a fourteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's not mm. screaming watchability to me. I'm telling you, this thing hit for me, and I feel like it's probably the lesser known man of the house, even though the other one is about Tommy Lee Jones and Christina Milian. Yes, out, right. Yes, and that one, Kelly still, Garner. Yeah, I'll tell you this, Griffin, and I have this is really sad news for you. Yeah. The film is streaming on Disney Plus. Uh huh. So for free, you know, if you're a subscriber. The sad news is now my plans are made for the night. Yeah, I yep. think that's that's unfortunate. Yeah. Look, you know. David, I thought the movie was good when I was five, which means it has to be good, and I will dig my heels in, and you cannot tell me otherwise. Look, it got a B plus cinema score. There we go. Number two at the box office. We can't talk about this anymore. You don't want to? No, because we're gonna devote an entire episode to it later. Number th- two at the box office yep. it was number one the week before. Mm-hmm. It is a very funny comedy. Okay, uh, it's based on a television show. It's based on a television show. Mm-hmm. Is it the Adams Family Values? No, but <laughs> so it's not maybe that good. Sure, but it is a good movie. Kind of on those vibes, knowing Arch. Oh, is it the first Brady Bunch movie? That's correct. Betty Thomas's The Brady Bunch. Movie. Betty Thomas, yes. That, that's a that's a good movie. Um, a funny movie. Yeah. Right. Yes. Ben, the Brady Bunch movie. Gary Cole, Shelley Long, um, Christine Taylor, Sure Jan. Yeah. That's from the first one, right? Have you never seen it? No, I did. I saw it in the theaters. I don't yeah. remember anything about you it. You know, the joke is like, oh, they're like out of time. Marsha, you know, Marsha, like, Marsha. Right. They've just been frozen in time, but they're in Gen X '90s California. Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole weird origin of that movie is that uh, there was, like, the L.A. show that I think Joey Solway was one of the people behind. I know Andy Richter was part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melanie Hutzel, who ends up on SNL. Mm. Uh, but it was, like, this L.A. comedy show where they would restage Brady Bunch episodes right. verbatim. And it was, like, like... it's so weird, it's funny. Like, right. just the show itself, just right. done... Again, is funny, and it would play really well to this sort of like arch ironic LA alt comedy audience. And then that got so big that Paramount was like, "Oh fuck, does like Brady Bunch have ironic appeal for this generation?" Right. And they basically wrote the movie based on the success of this like ongoing LA comedy show. That's insane. I didn't know. And then didn't carry over any of the actors. Right. But it was like Melanie Hutzel got on SNL because of that. Andy Richter basically gets on Conan because of that. It was sort of one of these like, it wasn't quite the the infamous production of Godspell. But it was like a show that that launched a lot of careers because it was such a it was called sort of hot ticket in LA. The, the real, real live yes. Brady Bunch, yeah. right? Yes, and it was Chicago. Yeah. Those crazy Chicago, Chicago kids. Right. It's annoyance Theater. It's annoyance. Yes, theater. it was annoyance yeah, Theater. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, no, no, but that's interesting. And then I yeah. think it transferred to LA at some point. But it became. It became but it is just it, funny yeah. that someone's like, "So can we do this? Not this, right? Because they would want our money. Yeah. But don't we own the Brady Bunch? Yeah. Can we just do that? Yeah." It's just also funny Gary that Gary Cole's just really it good. didn't like transfer to Broadway or anything. Like it was right. a rare example of a studio kind of being not ahead of the curve, but yeah. early on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they saw the beginning of the bubbling of the thing. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is selling out 100 seat theaters. We should make a $15 million movie. And it worked. And they made a sequel. They made a sequel that I remember being less good. Yeah. Right. And one of those sequels that comes out like nine months after the first movie. Right. Where they were like, 
Right. Yeah. Probably a mistake. Okay. Strike while the iron's hot. Number three is not a movie I automatically know. It is okay. a horror film. Hmm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Starring Spaghetti? Jeff Goldblum. It's a horror film starring Jeff Goldblum? Uh, no, a uh, uh, horror. Uh, uh, I'm scared. Oh, um, that's, uh, mm-hmm. boo, boo. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's directed by a guy okay. who made a. It's directed by a guy. Oh, now fuck. that's a clue for you to stew over. Spielberg. No, let's uh, think. No, but he's. It's it's in between his two best known movies. Okay, and both of his best known movies are like VR classics. They're vaporwave ass weird '90s relics. Uh, is it the director of Lawnmower Man? Correct, Brett Leonard. Okay, and Virtuosity is the other one. Right, you know the, those two movies where it's you're like, huh, '90s vision of the future. Yeah. Wrong, but cute. Yes, this is a movie that he made in between them. That's like a okay. more, I think, a straightforward horror movie. Huh. Where Jeff Goldblum plays a guy who dies in a car accident, is revived, and starts to get weird visions and realizes he's, like, connecting to a serial killer. I truly might have no idea what this movie is. I didn't know it. It's called Hideaway. Yeah? No? Uh, Jeff Goldblum, Christine Lottie, Alicia Silverstone, Jeremy Sisto, I think, playing the serial killer, Alfred Molina, Ray Don Chong. Wait a second. Sounds great. Yeah. Hmm, I'm seeing it got negative reviews. <laughs> What's going on? Um, not a big hit either. Okay. Uh, it's new this week. Number four. This is why I wanted to do this box office game. I really don't know these movies. Yeah. Okay. Number four. A crime thriller. Okay. You thrilled yet? Kiss, kiss, bing, bing. Sean Connery is the star. Hmm. Okay. I think this uh, movie foiled me in... Trivia. I could see you getting foiled by this anonymous ass movie. I'll Is tell it you this. Just Cause? That's right. Yeah. Wow. Because I got it wrong. I will now forever remember. What'd you what'd you say it was called? Just Friends? You idiot. That movie has Ryan Reynolds in it. It was a question. This was what uh, the movie trivia from Madonna RIP. This was a question where they referred to like uh was 95? Like a 95 mm-hmm. Sean Connery action thriller. Sure. And, and you I went believe The Rock or whatever. I no, guess Rising 96. Sun. Rising Sun, sure. Which yeah. I, maybe that's 94. That's 93. Wow. Uh, but then Sun I looked up Just Cause and yeah. most people classify it as a legal thriller. It's a legal thriller. thriller. Calling it an action like a prof- thriller. It's not an action thriller. Bit of a misnomer. Lawrence Fishburne is the second lead there. Right. But it's one of those, like, he's, it's like a capital punishment movie or yes. whatever. He turned down. The role of the villain in Braveheart to be in Just Cause. Wow. Um, I'm seeing here it got negative reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Number five of the box office is another yeah. film from Disney, but my guess is it's a um, re-release. What? A, no, no oh, a oh, it's Touchstone. Let's see. It's a Hollywood, actually. It's a Hollywood picture. This one's from Hollywood. Okay. And that's how you know the movie's authentic. It's from Hollywood. It's straight from. It's a comedy drama. Okay, a dramedy. Starring two, you know, older guys. Now, we're not talking grumpy old men. Oh, sure. We're not talking lemon and math time. No, but, you know, kind of in that vibe. Hmm. Um, Two older guys. You know, one of them is really, they're pretty old. They're pretty fucking old. You know what? They're old. It's a comedy from 95. Comedy drama. Comedy drama. So it's not gone fishing. No, because that was pure laughs. <laughs> Top to bottom. Uh, 
You know what? I guess it's really just one old guy. It's starring an old guy. Okay. This film was nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> In what category? Makeup. Fuck. And I think... I don't know. It's basically like an old guy moves in with his grandson and hijinks ensue. It's not dad. No. What is that again? I know dad that. is Jack Lemon, Ted Danson, Ethan Hawke as three generations of the same family, but there's a weird amount of old age makeup on Lemon who was already old at the time. Okay, so it's exactly the same vibe as that. Okay. Because I think that the main character who's being played by a guy I think in his 70s is yep. like... In his hundreds in this movie or something. What fucking movie? I don't know. Here's so the, the tagline. Nomination for makeup. old age makeup that yes. you're saying specifically. Okay, give me the tagline. Some people talk. Some people listen. When you're 107 and going strong, you do whatever you want. And the old guy moves in with his younger... His, like, grandson. I... What? I have... Could not... I don't know. I have okay. no idea what this Peter is. Peter Falk is in this movie. Columbo himself. Is he the old guy? Yes. <laughs> he sure is. He's the young guy. <laughs> and he, here's the twist. <laughs> this guy's young as fuck. <laughs> Grandpa, why are, you, why are you riding me? Is this the, is this Peter fucking D.B. Sweeney? Yes, that's fuck. right. What's this movie D.B. Sweeney plays his grandson. Yeah, we I, all know him. I, like, I know this VHS The voice Fox. of the dinosaur in Dinosaur. Aladar. Very cute. <laughs> wow that you pulled that name. It's a running podcast, the ride. Aladar. Running podcast, the ride bit. I gifted Scott Gardner uh, an Aladar. Good. That sounds like something Aladar. you would do. I did. You know the recent thing I did where I gave uh, Scott Scott Gardner from Podcast the Ride his son. Uh, you is gave him eighty Kingo toys or I whatever. Gave him Fifteen Kingos. Because his son genuinely likes Kingo from Eternal. His son loves Kingo from Eternal. That's his name, right? It's a Camille's yes. character. Now yeah. Scott has started to say he thinks that at this point he thinks Kingo is the name of Funko Pops. Like for him, Kingo oh, like is they are square head dot eyes. Right. But all he knows is he owns fifteen Funko Pops of Kingo. Um, okay, sorry. This movie is called ugh, Fuck. All right, I'm just going to give yeah. it to you. I keep on thinking it's the thing about my folks, which is the the Peter Falk. It's not Paul that. Reiser movie. I'll tell you that this film was directed by the great Peter Yates, who's Jeez. made a lot of good movies. Yeah. And so maybe this movie is good. Mm? It's called Roommates. Dude, I never would have gotten that title in a billion years. Roommates. That's wild that I knew what movie it was, and I kn the you title was nowhere the, close. The to poster me. says Peter Falk, DB Sweeney. Yeah, roommates, mm -hmm. and it was Oscar nominated. That's wild. Lost to Braveheart for makeup. Speaking of roommates, I found the meme I was talking about. Hit okay. it. Having roommates in Portland be like, Sock wants to know why you're weaponizing your neurotypical privilege by asking them to do the dishes. Yeah, that one's good. Now I know what you're talking. You know why it's funny? Sock. Sock. <laughs> <laughs> ah, those youngsters. Mm -hmm. um, shallow Grave. Shallow Grave. David? Yes? Final thoughts? As we launch into Danny Boyle, a man you've been waiting for years to cover on this show, we sort of settled into this rhythm we've talked about now with the, the way we uh, schedule this podcast. Yes. We're basically, our March Madness will usually start... In the second half of the year, run about towards the end. Yes. And then we usually try to start off each new year with a David and a Griffin. So A David pick and a Griffin pick. This is the David. This is your pick, and this is one that's been in the hopper for a long time. 
so it's hoppy. This is like a double IPA at this point. Absolutely. And then your pick is pretty hoppy too. Yeah. Been hopping. Yeah. Your pick is like fucking the WB frog. It's a swing. <laughs> uh, so those are planned. Yeah. Those are booked. Those are going to be very exciting. Yeah. Mostly I'm just like anyone who's complaining about this, um, you know, look forward to like it. just a lot of wild swings between genres, between... Mm-hmm. Like sort of industries, even who would complain about this? Is like the this is like a classic oh, blank track. No one complains about anything on the internet. No, no. Twenty twenty three. Other than you not being British enough. Twenty twenty three. Positive energy, uh-huh. and uh, I think we have a lot of great stuff hot coming Griffin, up. Hot David. This has been our classic guest list first episode of the mini series where one we're of kind of both like I don't know, you know, but yeah. like you know, get ready. But I think transpotting is a corker, and we're also just gonna try to. Um, Mostly be in person for these episodes. Yes. We'll have a couple Zoomers with some some L.A. folk or whatever. We got a couple, but... but uh, Sock from Portland, what a Zoomer he is. Look, we, we got our studio now. Um, it's it's coming together nicely, but more than anything, it is the, the true pleasure of having a stable home that we can invite people into and do these records looking at other human faces just so in much better. real life. Yes. I um, love faces. I love them. Thank you all for listening. Yeah. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to JJ Birch for our research, AJ McKeon, Alex Barron for our editing, Lee Montgomery, the Great American Novel for our theme song, Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for some links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon. Blank Check Special Features, where we do commentaries on some of Hollywood's biggest franchises. And what franchise is bigger than the Katsi trilogy? Not quite Katsi, coming February 1st. Spoiler! In contention for the worst <laughs> movie we've ever covered on either feed. The vibes start good, and then around minute one, yes. things start to curdle. We're talking the <laughs> By host. minute two, we're out. Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> we're talking things that are not movies. It is arguably worse than... You know what I mean? It's like vibes. Minute zero, we're like, doo, 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 yes. this is fun. Minute one, we're like, this kind of, I don't, I'm not sure what's going on. In minute two, we're like, worst piece of shit we've ever Look, seen. Look, I think it's a fun episode. Oh, it's a great We episode. go full Comedy Central roast. We're just trying out jokes. But uh, I will say as a movie, if I'm just viewing it as a movie that we have discussed on the show, as a movie, it is worse than the Dunkin' Donuts cup that Ben barfed into in the backseat of a car on the way to Atlantic City. <laughs> I agree with that If I'm statement. just judging it as a film, yes. that's a better movie, that yeah. cup. Yeah. Um, so listen to that. Uh, and, 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 and a thing we want to start uh, reminding people of more regularly, because we've been doing this for the last year, but we've been forgetting to mention it. We unlock all Patreon episodes after three years. Yeah. So our first year of Patreon 2019 is now completely open for everyone. And every 10 days on our Patreon, if you are subscribed, if you are a checkmate, you will get a new episode. But if you are not subscribed, there will be an unlocked, accessible to anyone episode from essentially the 2020 archives. All this is to say, all of the Marvel commentaries are now unlocked from 2019. 2020, uh, you'll be getting the Star Wars commentaries. Yeah, and then other stuff. Coming up, Toy Story. Yeah, yeah, a lot, lot of weird pandemic commentaries coming up, but they're pretty fun. Yeah, there's some. Look, yeah. if you like hearing us talk about Toy Story and Star Wars, two franchises that are important in the history of the show, those are things you can listen to. All the Marvel commentaries unlocked 
Also, obviously, other things like the Atlantic City episode we just talked about, uh, THX, uh, American Graffiti. Fix. All sorts of fun stuff. Marvel Performance Review with Gethard. That's a great episode. That is a great one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can check it out the 1st, the 11th, and the 21st of each month. It'll be available noon Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, you just want to go to patreon.com slash blank check, and those will now just be unlocked posts. Also, new merch. Yeah. Yeah, we got some new merch. Anyway, tune in next week for Train Spotting <laughs> with returning guest Charles Rogers of Search Party. Yep, great up. Great up. I think really, really, really great up with a great bit. There's there's that lands. Whoo. <laughs> yeah. And, and especially listening to I it. was gonna say it's very <laughs> visual. Very visual. Maybe one of the most visual bits <laughs> ever done act, on this show. Don't get too long, guys. I'm talking about like a, a two-minute moment in the episode. It's just funny to think about. It's just funny how visual yes, it is. Yes. And labor intensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, incredibly labor intensive. Not by us, but <laughs> no, by Charles. Uh, a gentleman and a prince. Uh, and as always, don't chop up bodies. I'd like to ask you about your hobbies. Now, uh, when you sacrifice a goat and you rip its heart out with your bare hands, uh, do you... I gotta start this over. Jesus Christ. You got this. This, this is gonna be a tough miniseries. <laughs>